Hey, welcome to the 291st episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Sometimes I talk about movies, like semi-recent, not current movies, but classic movies, cool movies, weird movies. Sometimes I do like off my mind topics, just like random things. Like I've talked about like Ben Riley, like how horrible things are. Talk about Batman not having any money, as much money as he used to. And sometimes I, I cover classic comic books. So, uh, you know, going back to the 80s, Fantastic Four, John Burns, classic stuff. So it's an interesting uh, one last week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. All right, so this, uh, this week's episode, uh, movie feature is John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, spoiler, I, I loved it, so I'll have some things to say about that. Uh, then uh, I don't think there was any new TV shows this week. So, oh, no, no, no. I take that back. I'm going to talk about Gotham Knights, just a pilot episode. So even though two episodes are out by the time you listen to this, and it's almost the third episode is coming out, uh, I haven't actually watched the second one yet. I just, so I'm just going to talk about the, the pilot episode. You can hear my, my thoughts on that. Um, I'm I'm kind of interested. I I might watch it. I don't think I'm going to cover it on a podcast just because there's so much stuff. If some other stuff, so you know, Servants over, Last of Us is over. There's some stuff opening up, but I yeah, I just it's not going to happen. So it's bad timing. If it would have been a couple weeks later, maybe. But it's it's an interesting show. Um, and then just more to say, you know, Superman Lois, uh, got Mandalorian, Bad Batch, uh, Star Trek Picard, School Spirits. I, two episodes of School Spirits this week, and then we're caught up, sort of. Actually, the fifth episode is now out by the time you listen to this. So I'm going to be like a week behind, like half a week behind or whatever. Um, it's I, I really dig that show. But with the news, strangely, there's not a lot of news, which is weird. Probably, oh, I, I know what it is because... As I record this, I'll admit I'm doing this a little early on, on the weekend, it's just so I can you know edit it and try to do stuff. We have WonderCon this weekend, and there's probably there may be some news coming out with that, so I might be missing that stuff. Um, I haven't checked anything recently to see if there's anything since the last time I looked at the news. I, I'll admit I'm a little bummed I didn't go. It kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I wasn't fully planning on going, and the main reason is is the cost. I was like, I don't know if it, it doesn't, I can't really justify the cost, you know, to get, take a plane down, pay for a plane flight, pay for a hotel and then plus food. And I don't even know if there's, I, I honestly don't even know like what is there, like what I could cover. So I'm, I'm really bummed because, you know, I, I've gone like, so often. Did I go last year? I don't think I went last year, but it's, it makes me sad in a way, but it, the, the main thing is, is is the cost. So I don't know, maybe next year. I mean, I'm still now. I got I got to start thinking about San Diego Comic Con and, and that insane cost. But yeah, so not a lot of news that I have at this point. Um, big news, not really. Apparently, 
Zack Snyder announced some SnyderCon screenings of Justice League or something like that. Um, I didn't look fully into details about this, but it, it's it's uh, supposed to support some cause because I, I just saw in like the trending tweets. I don't follow Zack Snyder on Twitter, um, but he he's like you know thanks to Warner Brothers for you know their part doing this. I think maybe I don't know. It's over three days, so I don't know if they're just screening it like over the three weekends you can see it because that's a four-hour movie at first i'm like already breaking up into chunks and i don't even know but whatever if you've wanted to see in a theater you can that's that's way too long for me and i yeah don't want to watch it anytime soon <laughs> so you can have that i'm um, speaking of sitting in theaters uh guardians of galaxy volume three apparently it's gonna be like two and a half hours okay uh, that seems to be a norm. I don't know why that's a, I didn't look any specific. I just, I saw that headline go by and I was like, all right, that, that's, that's good. Um, I, I like that. Cause, cause I, I should save it for John Wick, but John Wick's long movie did not feel like it. I'm, I'm totally down with that. So I'll get into to more of that. Um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't dig too deeply into this, but Damon Lindelof apparently isn't working on a star Wars script anymore. And it just, it kind of feels like, you know, they, they've they cut some things down because, you know, we had the Kevin Feige's not doing it, the Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Rogue Squadron, whatever. So it, I, don't, I don't know if, if Lucasfilm is just kind of reevaluating, like, what are we doing? And I don't know what the answer is because I, I thought there were some rumblings like, well, maybe we need to try to focus on, you know, the the Skywalker legacy or Skywalker saga. But you kind of can't. I still would like to see more Ray Finn, Poe, you know, all, all, all them, but I don't know what the answer is because, you know, when we have something like The Mandalorian, which I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm digging it, it's, you know, totally separate. You know, you have some, maybe some elements here or there, you know, you got the connection, like Mandalorian, Boba Fett stuff, you got the Grogu kind of stuff, and, you know, we had Luke Skywalker in it. So, you know, there are some connections that, but I feel like that's showing that you can have something that's not directly related to like the core Skywalker saga. And I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough sale for me. I'll go see it, you know, with like Rogue Squadron. I enjoyed it. Andor, Andor is fine. You know, I, I, I deep respect for what they're doing and how they're, they're presenting it and how it's like a different type of Star Wars thing. So I, I think that you can do something cool and different, but yeah, there's going to be that, that sell. I think, you know, but, Maybe part of the problem is going to be how the the toxic fans are, because you know there are some people just so nasty, and that's unfortunate because that doesn't necessarily represent the entire fandom, and you know some people it's like no matter what they do it's like they're going to be like tearing it apart, you know calling it woke or this or that you know who so I wonder if that has maybe they're just like yeah let's 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 hold off on that which which is it's too bad Ghostbusters Afterlife. The sequel. So apparently, Patton Oswalt, um, who I think is hilarious, and Kumal Nagiani, who's like an Internals and uh, Obi Wan, and he's been a bunch of stuff. He, they've joined the cast. How and what way? Don't know. But okay, that's cool. Other thing which would be amazing, Evil Dead Ash, because you know he says he's done. He's retired. He's not going to do it. But. It came up again because it's always going to keep coming up. You know, are you ever going to go back? Are you ever going to do it? And, you know, because part of it, he feels like he's getting too old to play Ash. You know, just the, the physical nature of it. You know, he he's, doesn't need to do that, doesn't really want to do that. But he kind of came out to, I think, 
I think he said that like, oh, like Ted and and uh, Sam Raimi are calling him like a chicken. Or he's like, it's like no. He said that like the only way he would do it is with basically Sam Raimi directing because he needs someone that's going to be like. I think he said he's like one of the meanest director, but the best, you know, the fierce because that's what he wants. He wants to to be directed the right way. He doesn't want to necessarily go through it for like someone else, you know, because he doesn't need to do it. So maybe there's still a possibility, but who knows? I mean, it's probably probably not going to happen anytime soon. If that, then uh, the last bit of news. So, like I said, there wasn't a whole. There was like I, I saw a news article like Brie Larson was was reluctant to join like the the Marvel movies or something like that. And you can't blame her. You look at how people react and people just so ridiculous. So just, I don't understand how some people were just so angry at the world that they just they have all this time and energy just to focus and attack certain things. Because I don't. know, I feel like if if I don't like something. I'm just not going to, you know, check it out. I'm not, not going to support it. Why give it, you know, a, the platform, whether you like it or not, you're still putting it out there. And some people might be like, oh, people really don't like this. Maybe I wonder why I should check it out. And then they're like, oh, wait, I do like this. So I don't know, it just it just seems weird just to be so angry about things. But the last bit of news, um, this this kind of bothers me in a bit. There's there's a lot of stuff going on with like Shazam with uh you know Zachary Levy and with uh, David F Sandberg and Shazam's not doing well. Why why is that? You know it it's it's just weird because uh, David F Sandberg said that this movie has like the highest audience score and the lowest critic score, which is just kind of weird. But then. There are also, I'm sure, you know, the Snyderverse fans are are ecstatic. They're overjoyed that it's not doing well, which is just ridiculous because the first movie had a sort of Henry Cavill cameo in there, but not, you know, not really, but sort of. So they're saying that it does exist. So you would think you'd want to support that because that's like the last remaining remnants of the Snyderverse that you'd want to support that. But they're just so angry about things. And the... I don't know if, you know, the audience score is high, so, you know, it's not like they're necessarily review bombing it. Why didn't the critics not like it? I don't know. I feel like some people are just, it's, it's, a, it's a form of entertainment. Uh, I, I saw one thing, I forgot I don't know who, who said it, maybe it was David F. Sandberg, that there's kind of a missed opportunity. There's a few missed opportunities. You know, this is supposed to be a family movie, but it wasn't marketed as one. You know, so families may not realize that they can take their kids or take the family to see this movie. Zachary Levy talked about like, there was supposed to be a Shazam cameo in black Adam, but apparently Dwayne Johnson rejected it. And I also heard that there was like, supposedly they wanted to use like justice society characters like Hawkman or whatever in Shazam, but he's somehow Dwayne Johnson was able to put a stop to that. I don't know if it was if it's he had some you know if it's part of the producing or executive producing credit role that you can do that. It just seems really you know unfortunate that you know this was again another missed opportunity that you know if you do some sort of cameo with Black Adam or whatever because you know we know we're not getting Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam anytime soon, but they could have tried to do something and it's just because to me Black Adam Shazam it, it goes hand in hand. It's not Black Adam Superman. 
So I just I, I just don't understand, and I don't understand why people are so angry. I I really enjoyed. I had a, a fun time watching it. It just just seemed weird. And then there's uh, people. So this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. I, I think it was spoiled in the final trailer, which I didn't see. There's been other stuff online that's, that's been so slight little spoiler. If you haven't seen Shazam yet, if you're worried about this, if you've avoided everything about a cameo, that's what I'm going to talk about. So get ready if, if you really, really, really don't want to hear it. Okay, there's a lot of people are trying to say that Gal Gadot wasn't really on set. And, you know, because there was a picture, I think it was Zachary Levy with like a stunt double, you know, full on costume or anything like that. They're like, oh, she wasn't even there. They deep faked it. They just, you know, superimposed her face on there. And it's like, no, that's not, not the case. What they did, they used a stunt double to kind of practice you know, position the, the frame, the shots, and everything. They said the first time you see Wonder Woman, uh, which was hilarious, that was a stunt double when something else happened. But you know, the other scene, you know, because there, there's even footage. Uh, David F. Sandberg wasn't. They had to film it in London, I guess. So they had her like in front of a, a blue screen or something like that. So he wasn't there, but he like directed remotely. Um, but she it was her and he's like every time you see her like fully her on camera that is her she is there but it's just it's it's ridiculous people are like like oh they couldn't even do this it's, it's like they're just they they do the slightest thing they make the slightest comment and then they try to make this fact and even if you hear a rumor it's not fact and you can't just say oh i heard this so this must be the case you know, and this is what's great about James Gunn is he's like shooting down, you know, rumors left and right. Like, I think there was I saw one tweet where it was like something in Spanish. I don't even know who, who tweeted it, but basically saying that James Gunn is casting all 20 year olds in that. And, he, you know, someone's like, hey, James, you want to comment on this? Any truth to this? And he he's like, that's not true. He's like, we haven't even started casting yet. And he's like, we're not just you know only looking at 20 year olds you know we're looking at you know other ages too so it's just crazy how just people just want to report on whatever whether they think it's true or they're just totally completely making stuff up hoping that they can get some traction out of it it just seems kind of silly so yeah that's it and that that's that's the news so that's kind of silly too that there wasn't anything else that happened but uh just you gotta gotta be careful with with where you get your news from i mean i i'm assuming you're not getting all your pure news for me but again i'm not gonna claim hey someone told me that this is gonna happen you know that that the incredible hulk is gonna be riding a big wheel in the next movie and that's gonna be his whole thing hulk smashed a big wheel don't smash a big wheel that's gonna be the news for the week with comic books at image there was a <laughs> there was a new series that came out dead romans it's by fred kennedy with uh, art by Nick Marinkovich. Art, art, very, very, really cool. I, I really like the, it's, it's almost like a painted, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's really cool art. Um, I didn't read this. I, I actually, you know, I did flip through the issue. If you know me, you know <laughs> that something dealing with Romans, it's not my jam. I I just I have this block against like oh it's not that I hate history or anything like that, but I don't know. So it says Armin Arminius, 
a Germanic prince raised in Rome, has sworn vengeance against the empire that butchers his people. He wants to make a queen of the woman he loves. Honoria, a former a fellow slave, now 50,000 Romans will die to give her a throne she never asked for or wanted. Lush, beautiful illustrations bring to life a brutal tale of love and war from the birth of the Roman Empire. So, something like that. If, if that sounds cool to you, you know, yeah, you should definitely check out because it, it does look good. But like I said, it's just, it's not my thing. So uh, I, I, I just have a hard time with it. I don't know. Again, maybe I, I don't like history. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Infernal Girl Red, book one, three of three. So this is the end of the first issue. And, and it seems like a lot happens here. Because so, you know, Infernal Girl, this girl, she, she gets, this, gets this power and she's trying to deal with it. She goes to this like special school, you know, campus, whatever. And then the whole like town gets transported out of, you know, just like in this big dome and who knows where they're at. And then there's like these, there's like this giant beast thing. And, you know, so she's fighting all this stuff and, you know, who's, who's responsible for all this. And her mom had a connection to the original Infernal Girl Red. And so, you know, she's able to give her some, some pointers and stuff like that. And, but then her mom gets kidnapped because, you know, her mom was in town dropping her off at school and then saying, you know, somewhere nearby. So her mom gets taken and like, what is this girl going to do? Cause you know, she doesn't really know much about the powers and all that. So, um, there are some like more developments, more, more, uh, answers. And, uh, it, it does kind of leave you hanging. Cause this, again, this is book one. So we, now we have to wait for book two so that, um it's definitely some some cool stuff happening here so I'm, I'm enjoying that plush issue five five of six so plush is a series where you, <laughs> uh, you have a bunch of people dr furries dressed in you know furry costumes but they're cannibals and this one guy he, his friend that kind of ropes him into going to this furry convention so he gets pulled into this you know he goes out in this alley to get some air or something like that and he sees like a furry eating someone and then you know a bunch of them get arrested and then he ends up going with them so that the sheriff is like this i don't get what this so that this this guy was engaged to the sheriff's daughter the sheriff's daughter is like cheating on on the dude and so it's like he doesn't, but the sheriff really wants this guy to marry his daughter, even though he knows that she's cheating, you know, on, on him with one of the deputies, or whatever. And and now you know he rounded up a bunch of the good old boys to go after these furries because he's like, oh, so now you know off the record you get to go hunting for humans. So it's just I, I'm not really sure where this is going, but you know, this one more issue left after this, so it's definitely uh, worth worth checking out. Then there is Torrent issue two. So I'm I'm in, I'm digging this. This is my Mark Guggenheim, um, Rico Renzi, and uh, we had this superhero, and uh, you know she was premier superhero. This is a world where there are other heroes, and uh, her kind of partner gets caught. It's you know by the bad guys. And he's like tortured and everything like that, and then he finally kind of gives up her name so then they go to her place they they um they target um they, they basically i think they, they killed her husband but then they took her kid because it's like i think they didn't necessarily want to kill a kid so her identity is, is like known now what is she going to do and you know how is she going to get help and 
so it's it's a cool take on that you know because she was a hero but now you know you're messing with her family so it's like you know the, the new lines are gonna be drawn and everything like that so it's um it, it's 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 pretty cool I, I i'm i'm digging that oh i just realized vanish five came out i did not read vanish five i i don't I don't know how we feel about this book you know i i'm curious i you know i love I love ryan stegman's art and you know donny cates does a lot of cool stuff but I think part of the thing for me is like this magic, you know, angle to it. Maybe I don't like magic either because uh, Mark Miller's uh, Magic Order Four issue three is out. I haven't read any of these. I don't. I never even finished Magic Order Three. I think like the last issue or two. And it's like it's it's they're coming out so so quickly now. And it, there used to be like you know more uh, space space you know between volumes and that. So yeah, I, I haven't read Vanish yet. So that's that's my 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 bad, as the kids say. At DC there was Nightwing 102. So I, I kinda like this how they're incorporating the Teen Titans, you know, to are trying to elevate them up. Or they're not Teen Titans, the Titans. So, you know, it's it's cool because if you know Nightwing it makes sense for him to be hanging out with the Titans and to have them around and then to use them. You know, if you have friends, why not? There's nothing wrong. You know, why does Nightwing have to do, you know, he's a formidable hero, but why, why does he have to do everything on his own? And this is dealing with that smiling guy. I forget his name. And the fact that they're trying to protect Blockbuster's daughter because Ner Neuron, is that his name? Neuron? I can't stand Neuron. Ne it's not Necron. Neuron. See, that is so much. I don't even care. It's like I refuse to remember what his name is. Uh, so he wants this. You know, they're they're trying to protect her, and um, so apart from that, I don't really care for this villain so much. But there's some some cool like the way they go about like trying to solve their problem. So you know, it's and and the, the writing is, is good, and the, the art is is great. Okay, then there's another Batman one bad day. I've been okay with some, you know, some of them have been pretty good, but some of them, I'm just like, I don't know about this. So we had Batman, One Bad Day, Rachel Ghoul. And, you know, these, these books tend to be like 60, 70, 80 pages. And I'm just like, that's, you know, that, that's a lot to read, especially with, with all the other books. So I was like, I, I, I like Rachel Ghoul, you know, as a villain, I can, you know, respect or not respect him, but, you know, I, I, I get it. You know, he's, he's cool when he, when they, he's used right. I was like, I don't know if I feel like reading this. And I just opened it <laughs> literally just now. And I totally forgot who the creative team was. Tom Taylor and Ivan Rice, Danny Mickey, Brad Anderson. So it's like, okay, I should have read this. Um, I probably will read this, but obviously not in time for this podcast. So if you've read it, let me know what you think. There's actually, un unfortunately, a few books I haven't read, but I did read Batman, Superman, World's Finest. I'm, I'm just loving this this series. Um, crazy cliffhanger ending but what was cool about this is uh you know i i just just something about the batman and superman dynamic but you know we also have they're in metropolis so you know we have like jimmy olsen and the daily planet there and you know uh, just th there this issue deals with looking into a murder and with a um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hungry now. So that rustling, I got a, some cheeses. I should put the cheeses away. I shouldn't be looking or touching them. But but this issue, you know, also features uh, Metamorpho. And 
you kind of get his origin here. So it's like if, you, if you're totally familiar with his origin, it's like, okay, do we really need all that? But I guess, you know, when you look at it as like regular readers, mainstream readers, whoever, you know, if more people are picking up this book, great. So there might be a lot of people who don't fully know his his origin. So uh, that's fine. You know, because the, the art in here, you know, Dan Morris' art is so good. And, you know, I'll, I'll read any book that he does, you know, to look at maybe within reason, I guess. But it, it's just really good. And, and Mark Wade, I, I'm totally digging what he's doing here. So I it's 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 an interesting you know you got this murder mystery and what, what does this mean and how they're kind of investigating at different angles and then we get this crazy ending it's like oh crap and then there's like not much that can be done because you know certain hands are tied for certain reasons so I, I i'm looking forward to the next issue uh, black adam issue nine came out i didn't read that cat 153 I will read this. I didn't read it this week, or I didn't read it so far. But I'm just this whole, you know, Selena in jail. I, I don't know. Well, I'm curious where that's going to go. Um, deceased ward of undead gods. Not super digging all this stuff. And and part of it, you know, I I I can appreciate the fact that because this is deceased that like anything goes anyone can die and all that but you know sometimes it just feels like it's just it's death for death's sake and i i don't necessarily need that so much you know it's i don't know not that i need you know everything to be happy go lucky but sometimes it's just like okay someone else is dead now someone else is like really you're killing out this person too then there's gcpd the blue wall issue six this has been a good series I did not read this issue. <laughs> I don't know what happened this week. It's like there's so much stuff I didn't read. Uh, what, what this this is more about the, the the police force, and it's it's a little more in your face. I mean, there's there's some heavier issues, and there's a lot of stuff like racism and just bigotry, and you know stuff that that is kind of accepted as okay in the workforce. It's like oh, that's just how it is, but it, you know it's, it's not. So things really got got a. You know, things escalated when, you know, this one dude who was like dealing with all this negative, you know, they're, oh, they're just poking fun with you. And, you know, because he like he goes to HR and they're like, yeah, that's just how it is. You know, you just, you know, you just, you know, buck up, man up or whatever, deal with it. So the crazy things happening there. And then, yeah, and we're getting re re a lot of Renee Montoya as a commissioner. And yeah, so there's, there's definitely some cool stuff here. Uh, Superman issue two. So this is uh, the Joshua Williamson series. And uh, Superman kind of has his hand full because something's going on. And there's metamorpho or not metamorpho, parasite is kind of like, there's like a bunch of them. So it's like, I mean, parasite, I, I don't care for parasite, but he's, he's like, he's a big problem for Superman because, you know, he drains his energy. And now if you have like all these different parasites, you know, clones or duplicates or what, what is what, what's happening, that's going to be kind of a problem. So, you know, we, we have Superman trying to deal with, with all that. And then, um, then it, you know, there's a whole thing with Lex Luthor where, he, you know, Lex is in jail. He insists on helping Superman. You know, he supposedly turned over LexCorp and I call it, I forgot what it was, Superman something. And, you know, he, he's trying to tell Superman what to, you know, he's talking from his prison. He's like, you got to do this. You got to do this because he knows Superman can hear him. You know, he can't talk back to him. 
So there's some some interesting things going on there. Then uh, the Flash 795. We still have this one minute war. I am so ready for this to be over. Every time the issue ends, I'm like, it's 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 like this and the uh, Avengers uh, current thing. It's just like it's going on forever. And with with the with the one minute war, war, it's like they're killing. Off. They kill off a couple like major people, and I'm like, there's no way you can kill this person off because if if so, that would be so stupid, and I would be annoyed. So, you know, we've, we've had a couple big characters die. And it's just like, no way. And it just seems weird. So we have this, like, alien race. They're going, they go to different planets. And they just, they basically kidnap people. Or they take people and they steal their energy and to amp them up in the Speed Force. It's kind of like Speed Force, but not really. And I don't know. And, and part of it, I, I'm not super crazy about the design of, of some of the aliens or whatever. Or people involved. I don't know. Then there is Wonder Woman 797. I probably should have read this. I've been a little on the, on the fence with Wonder Woman lately. Uh, but this one, dealing with the, the Lazarus planet stuff. So that's my main reluctance. But uh, Wonder Woman kind of had to make a deal. If you look at the cover, it's like goddess mode. So it's like, is Wonder Woman becoming a goddess? You know, what does that mean? You know, is she going to be able to go back to earth or is she going to be like stuck in Olympia or wherever. Um, but then what I realize here also featuring the new champion of Shazam. It's like, why is that in this issue? I need to read this. It's like, uh, so bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm failing this week at, at comics at Marvel. There's amazing Spider-Man 22. We're starting to get some answers to what happened. I really have a problem to just saying that this was a year ago or whatever. And, you know, you can't put this firm time in the comics because, you know, here, yeah, we're issue 22 and maybe we're going around 20, you know, two years. But you can't say that, that that's like actually like even you have time. You can't put a firm time limit on comics because then that's just going to age the characters. And what, are we just supposed to ignore it? Like in six months or whatever, we just say, okay, whatever, just whatever. You know, they didn't, they're not another year older. Because, you know, how old, how old is, is is Peter Parker? Is he still in his 20s? Is he in his 30s? I would like to think that he's still kind of in his 20s, you know, late 20s, even though he's done a lot. But, you know, he was 15 when he first started. And I don't know, you get what I'm saying, maybe. So we're finding it, you know, Spider-Man and Mary Jane were transported to this other dimension. And we see this dude. I'm like, wait, who is this dude? Is this? It turns out that Paul dude was there. Uh, I just, I'm super reluctant with this story with the answers that we're going to get because I just, I don't understand how Mary Jane is with this guy and they have kids. Because at first I was like, okay, are they his kids? But then like, why are his kids calling her mom? So are they really her kids because without spoiling things does she get trapped in this other dimension maybe and actually have kids there because it's like no it's like she and peter eventually have to get back together uh, i just i don't know i don't know what they're, they're trying to do here and it's just crazy what's crazy is carnage issue 11 is out and i i'm not reading that is this any good? 
I feel bad that I'm not reading it, even though there's so much I haven't read this week, but it's like, I just, I can't read Carnage. I cannot stand Carnage. Have I mentioned that before? Doctor Strange issue one came out. So from some strange reason, we have an Alex Ross cover, but something about the cover, I don't know if it's the colors or the design, something about it, I'm like, eh, this is, this is it's, you know, awesome piece of art, but there's something just not appealing about it to me. And then I was like, wait, this is Alex Ross. I was like, oh, I don't know what it is about that. The weird thing is, you know, the, the cover doesn't um, reflect the interiors. You know, I, I like the art in, inside. But when I saw this, I was like, oh, Doctor Strange. But then I was like, oh, Jed McKay's writing it. All right, I'm 100% there. And so now, you know, Doctor Strange, spoiler, in case you're not familiar, he is back. And Clea's there. So I I just, it's weird. It's like, where's Clea been all this time? Because I love Clea now. I mean, I'm I'm such a Clea fan. I've, you know, read some stories with her before and I'm like, oh, whatever. But I just, there's something about her now. And and it, it's great. You know, they're, they're together. They're married. And even though Doctor Strange was hooking up with Night Nurse for a while. But yeah, so there, there's some crazy thing. It's interesting to see how they work together and the, the differences. Because Clea's like all like action and, you know, just wanting to get things done. But Doctor Strange is like, oh, let's pull back a little bit. And now, you know, he's he's also like consulting people and helping out you know because like a lot of superheroes have questions about magic they don't really understand how it works so you know he wants to help them so it's it's interesting uh, you know dynamic with how where this is going then there's joe fix it issue three um i, I you know i'm always on the fence with these kind of retro flashback whatever stories where it's you know fitted in fitted in it's fit it's squeezed into a certain time frame but they're new stories but you're kind of limited because you can't do anything drastic that would, you know, change continuity in history. But the fact that, you know, it's Peter David writing. So, you know, that that says something there because, you know, he he wrote so many, you know, awesome, you know, such a big, long Hulk period. And what's interesting here is you, during the, the Joe Fixit phase, you know, he was like, if I feel like he was always Joe Fixit. But then there's a point where he's like, he's banner it's like wait i didn't think he could do that while he was joe fix it because he was just joe fix it and it's interesting that you know we're, we're getting a lot of spider-man here i don't know why but it's 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 fun it works so it's interesting there uh marauders issue 12 i'm not reading this um i should be and that's the other thing i feel weird that i'm not reading this because kitty pride's in this or kate pride but something about it is just yeah hasn't been really working for me and then um Monica Rambo, Photon, I didn't read, issue four is out, but I think I haven't read, I don't know if I read issue two. I think I, that's what was the problem. I didn't read issue three because I didn't read issue two. So now I'm like totally like far behind. Then we had uh, Punisher, issue 10. So, you know, one thing I haven't really commented on, on Punisher. Recently, Punisher was going up against Ares, you know, God of War. But Ares was an Avenger. You know, he was a, a good guy. And here he's just being so extreme. And I'm just trying to, you know, I, maybe I just don't understand how gods work in the Marvel universe. Or maybe it's different because, you know, he's not like, uh, you know, an, an as, as guardian god. But it just seems like he's so extreme, you know, from last time. And, you know, Ares did die at one point, but then I think because they're gods that they can come back or, you know, it's whatever, however it works. So maybe, you know, that has something to do with it, that, you know, he is so extreme because he's gone through some sort of change. 
but you know it's this series it's it's weird seeing punisher in this like different position and you know he's really going out and trying to punish you know various people like hardcore bad guys but you know he's saying taking such an extreme you know direction and you know, there's the stuff like his, with his dead wife; she's resurrected, and you know, and we, we're getting all these glimpses into his past, which is like uncomfortable to see how like detached he was when he returned from the war. So it's it's just such a weird book. And then the other weird thing is how you know there's been lots of teases, and you know, there has been some crossovers with Daredevil, and you know, Daredevil and Electra's fight against a hand, but. It's like nothing's really been settled with that. You know, it's, oh, I don't know. She-Hulk issue 11. There's uh, basically more of She-Hulk and the fact that, you know, so she's basically dating Jack of Hearts. And, um, but it's weird because she's not telling anyone because they kind of don't want people to know that he's back because he, the last time he was there, you know, he blew up and he killed a couple Avengers. And, you know, so he's still trying to figure out, you know, how is he safe to be around? And, you know, he, he's Jenna, Jen, Jenna, Jen, Jennifer has like a, you know, radiation detector thing, you know, because she has to see if, if, you know, her energy is being absorbed or if there's high energy or whatever. So no one knows which, who she, she they're, she's dating him. They're together. And it's it's just I don't know kind of kind of weird so, but I I I'm enjoying it. Uh, Spider Man: The Lost Hunt. I, I haven't read the last couple issues just because it's so hard seeing such an angry Spider Man. Just didn't seem right. Star Wars: Darth Vader, issue thirty two. So this is more with the the handmaidens, the Padme's handmaidens, and I just think this is such a a brilliant concept. Uh, you know, so this is you know Greg Pak doing the writing, and uh, we have Sabe, who was pretty sure Sabe is the Kira Knightley um, handmaiden, and you know just the the handmaidens are want to go after you know Darth Vader, and Sabe's seems like she's kind of getting turned. You know, she's working with Darth Vader, and but it's like, is she really? Is she not? And then the other handmaidens they want to like rescue her because they think that she's being you know she's there against her will and. So it's just I, I'm I'm really intrigued by like how this is playing out. So it's it's it's, it's I don't know it's it's pretty cool, and I think that's all I've read for for comics because uh, there's Storm and uh, the Brotherhood of Mutants. I I'm refusing to read any of this um, sinister stuff. I you know, I read the first issue. I just did not care for it, and I just I because it's this like alternate history or future from what I gather where Sinister has like tainted everyone's genetic makeup. And so now Sinister is a part of everyone. It just seems ridiculous. I don't want to read all these. It's almost like it's the age of apocalypse. It's like, you know, we have all these other, you know, titles with different versions of characters and then it's just going to get erased or it's just going to end. And then it's going to revert back to the regular books. The problem here, we're getting all these other series, but we still have the regular books or most of the regular books. So it's like, I, I don't want to read these because, yeah, part of the, the point of reading is, you know, here's a story, be, beginning, middle, end, you're entertained. But it's just hard 
when you're reading, you know, all this stuff, it's just it's like it's a make believe story. You know, it, it's not going to have an impact unless there's. Yeah, I don't see how it's going to be. There's there's going to be any lasting impact. I don't know unless we start to see that some of the stuff actually starts happening. But there's no way Sinister is going to inject his DNA into everyone's DNA, and I don't know. That's just weird. Um, then there's Wasp issue three, which I, I enjoyed this one, but I didn't read the second issue, which I need to do that. So that's why I haven't read this one. And then there's Extreme X Men issue four, which I never read the first one, and I I still have it on my iPad. I need to read that. So now. <laughs> I'm four issues back. So, like I said, um, I failed this week's comics. So, that is comics. That was some of the comics for this past week. Wah, wah, wah. And now it is time for the series finale of Servant. Uh, season 4, Episode 10, Fallen. Um, so, I'm still trying to think about, like, if, if you were to ask me, what'd you think of it? Uh, I, I'm... I'm not really sure. I guess maybe I should address it at the end. I mean, I, I do like some things. I can appreciate some, and I, 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 I'm happy with some things, And you know, but I'm kind of not happy with some things, which that's okay. It, it's, I, and and by, not, by me not being happy, it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, I hate the show now. This is, but it's, you know, I kind of wish things could have gone another way, but in life, things don't go the way you want so i'm i'm able to accept that and be okay with that but okay so it, it starts off leanne says you want you know so it picks up from the last last episode where you know um the all all of them are in the house and and uh, dorothy just i'm like i'm almost forgetting the names right dorothy just re- remembered that jericho actually died and it was like her fault so Leanne's like, you once told me you'd do anything for Jericho. Then here's your chance. All I have to do is say yes. Just say yes, and everything will be okay. I'll give you everything you want. Just say yes. So it's almost like one of the. Th- I, this is one of the things I, I, I don't like. It's it's kind of like they're they're painting Leanne as like Satan, is like you know like making a deal with the devil type of thing. But in the beginning, it's like she wasn't evil, and I don't think she's still, I wouldn't say she's evil even though she, she's done some kind of wicked things, but throughout this whole thing, we, we kind of get some interesting camera angles like a close-up, like, you know, sort of like Dorothy's face on the side, and you can see like like Sean, like off, like to her, her left, and just kind of like, okay, you know, like, what is she going to say? Is she going to go for this or not? And then, you know, cutting to like Leanne being like right there, so it was, it was just like it was, it was pretty cool. Dorothy's just like like in a daze and you know Sean you know like I said he's he's like at the doorway he's just waiting you know what is she gonna you know how is she reacting to this still raining outside you know and then Dorothy finally talks she's like I need a moment alone so she turns to Sean she's like why don't you two go wait in the car and Julian's like, what? And they're like, no. And Sean says that, it's like, she's, you're not safe with her. And he's like, you have no idea what she's done. Julian's like, for all we know, she could have the stolen baby hitting in the house. And Leanne's like, I don't. Dorothy's like, she's right. There's no baby here. She's like, I know her as well as you do. She's like, I'll be fine. And there's a shot of, you know, Leanne. I didn't notice it last time. I don't know if she did, but she actually has the, the living doll in, in her arms. Leanne's like holding it. So Sean's like, all right. And Julian's like kind of surprised that Sean's like going with this. And Sean's like, we'll be right outside if, if you need us. And then they leave. 
Dorothy just starts like walking up the stairs and, you know, she's leaning against the wall. Her, this, uh, this is one thing that bothers me and I'm sure there's reason for it, but it's like Dorothy's walking is getting better and better by the minute. And, you know, just before, like right after the accident, doctors didn't think she was ever going to walk again. And, and she's like not even using a stroller or, or, or like, you know, any, any sort of, sort of assistance. So she's just kind of walking, you know, she's leaning against a wall, leaning against a railing. And she starts going up and Leanne's like, Dorothy, she's like, look at me. And Dorothy's like, what are you? And Leanne's like, it doesn't matter. I'm yours. And now you don't have to hurt anymore and we can be happy again. And she's like, can't. And she just starts going up the stairs and Leanne's like, but you need me, Dorothy. She's like, I'll be better. I promise. It's like, don't you want him back? And her voice is like cracking. And she just kind of like slumps down, like in a little like bench thing, like at the foot of the stairs off the side. Dorothy, she goes upstairs. She goes to Jericho's room. She picks up like this little stuffy something in her crib and like kind of inhales his, his scent. And Leanne just sits at the, at the bottom and then she decides to go up. News is still on in the living room, you know, flash flood warnings. And there's like reports like storm damage that are like still coming in. Leanne then goes up to the attic and she's like crying and she goes up to the roof and she yells up to the sky. She's like, I'm not afraid of you anymore. There's nothing else that you can do to me. It's like, this was the one thing that I wanted. Why couldn't I have it? And then she looks down at the street and I'm, I guess there's some street people there. It's like really hard to see because, you know, it's so tiny. But there's like a dude and like two girls just standing there by this like big, like, you know, big Lincoln or something like that, Cadillac. Then Dorothy comes out on the roof. And again, she's really pretty mobile considering, you know, her condition. And she calls out to Leanne. She's like, I know that was my son. I know that you gave him back to me, but I can't let you do it again. And Leanne's like, do you think I was wrong? Do you think I'm evil? And they're yelling because of the storm. And she's like, no, it was the kindest thing anyone has ever done for me. I would have given anything to have had him for one more minute. And you gave me months with him. And this pain that I feel now... That's part of my love for him, too. I need to feel it. You're not evil. And throughout this, it's, it's like Dorothy's being very understanding in all this. It's like, is this like some trick uh, considering how wicked and evil she's been towards Leanne? But then Leanne's like, she's like, I am. I am bad. You don't know how bad I really am. And Dorothy's like, I know you. And Leanne says that when the kitchen in Wisconsin caught fire, she's like, I hid in my room because I knew it was my fault and that I would be punished. She's like, I heard my parents screaming. I could have helped them, but I didn't. Dorothy's like, you were scared and a little girl. She's like, no, no. She's like, for the first time in my life, I was happy because I wanted them to die. And the last thing I remember was Uncle George taking me away. He brought me back, but I didn't deserve it. Then she says that you know she'll never be good enough for him or, or she'll never be forgiven. She's fudging sick and tired of trying to be. And Dorothy interrupts. She asks Leanne if, if she can forgive her. She's like, a mother who killed her own child? And Leanne's like, you made a mistake. Then she's like, I don't care what you've done. I know in your heart. I met you when you were a little girl. Do you remember? And Leanne nods. She's like, you should have been loved. I would have been so proud to have had a daughter like you. And then this like metal pole up on the roof kind of gets like struck by lightning and flies at them. Leanne pulls Dorothy down. She's like, it's too late, Dorothy. She's like, I don't know how to stop this. Dorothy's like, you saved me. And Leanne's like, it's all my fault. She's like, I'm too dangerous to be around. Dorothy's like, please, let's go inside. So they go in. And then Leanne, you know, as, as they're walking towards the, the door, she kind of like looks at the street again at, at the people down there. 
So TV on more news reports, River, this one river has exceeded the 100-year flood zone or something like that, causing closure all along the expressway. So it's like they're not going to be able to get out of there. In the car, Julian says, like, if, if Dorothy's not back in five minutes, like, I'm going in to get her. Then he notices, like, he's like, Sean, you're leaking. He's like, your stitches must have ripped open. Inside, Leanne gives Dorothy a towel, and she says that, you know, she does forgive her. And then she's like, Jericho forgives you, too. And then Dorothy takes that in as, you know, Leanne's kind of like, like drying Dorothy's feet. And then this was like unexpected. Dorothy like leans over and like kisses Leanne on the head. I'm like, whoa. I was like, maybe she's not like faking and like being wicked or something. Julian's about to go in and Sean's like, he's like, they're here. So Dorothy gets in and Julian says that they have to go back to the hospital for Sean. And then they all kind of look at Leanne standing on the sidewalk and Dorothy's like, get in. And Leanne's like, I think I should stay. It's like, you don't need me to come with you. And Dorothy's like, it's not safe, Leanne. Sean's like, we don't want you to get stranded here. You know, let, let us help you. Uh, come on. And Dorothy's like, come. Leanne's like, I just have to go get something that Uncle George left for me. And then, you know, she's about to close the door because Julian's in the driver's seat. So she, to Julian, she's like, take care of them for me. So Leanne goes back inside, closes the door, and she locks it behind her. She stands in the window. She takes off her coat. She's, and then she walks, turns off the light. She goes down to the tunnel where Uncle George's like charred remains are. And she's like, I'm really sorry. I really hope you'll be proud of me. On the main floor, she starts pouring like gas all over. And she continues like pouring gas like up the stairs. From the top, she, she looks over the railing. She drops a match. And like the, the living doll is like at the bottom, like on that, that sofa thing. Flames start going up. And then like the, the doll starts like melting. Julian's like in a car. He's like, this is insane. He's like, we should be leaving. It's not safe here. Dorothy asks Sean if, if he's okay to wait. And he's like, he nods. And she's like, let's just give her another minute. From her bedroom, Leanne video calls Toby and she lies in her bed. And he's like, oh, hey, Leanne. He's like, all happy. He's like, it's weird. She's like, I was just thinking of you. And she asks if he thinks about her a lot. And he's like, he's like yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to call you after work today and see if maybe you wanted to go out sometime. And she's like, I'd love to. And he, she's like, what do you want to do? He's like, well, there's this restaurant where you cook your own pizza. He's like, I swear it's fun, you know, but if you don't want to do that, you know, we, we can go mini golfing. And, you know, he's like just so happy just talking to her. And she's like, let's do both. And he's like, oh, that, that's great. And she's like, what should we do after? He's like, uh, we could get gelato. Uh, we could walk by the river, you know, if, if it's not too cold. you know, And if it is, you know, I'd give you my jacket because I'm a gentleman. And then she's like, let's go tomorrow. He's like, okay, but uh, he's like, I don't know if it'll still be raining tomorrow. And she's like, quietly, she's like, it won't be raining tomorrow. Then he's like, okay, it's a date. And he's like, uh, I, you know, I should probably be getting back to work. He's like, you know, I'm really glad you called. And she's like, you know, I am too. And downstairs, the TV like starts melting and finally shuts off. And to her mannequin, she's like, she says that she used to try really hard to make her happy, but it was never enough. She's like, but it's okay because I have a new mother now and I don't need anything from you anymore. I wish I could ask you something now. She's like, what does it feel like when you burn? And we can hear like things like crashing and, you know, from all the flames downstairs. She turns off the light, leaves the room. Julian's like, this is fudging nuts. He's like, I'm going in. He go, go gets out, goes to the door. Go, or goes up the little stairs, sees like the flames in there and the inner door is locked. And then Dorothy, I guess she came out too. 
And she's like, you know, we tried around the back. So Dorothy calls 911, you know, about the fire. There's someone trapped inside. Sean and Julian go to the back. And Sean's like, like, don't get too close. The kitchen is like solid flames. Like you can't see anything in there. It's just like a wall of flames through all, all the doors or windows. Sean tells Dorothy, like, stay back. And Julian, um, he, he's, he's like just looking around or anything like that. And then um, he like sees like a pair of Leanne's shoes outside or something like that. You know, I don't know what, what that was about. But then Sean because they're like at the street level by by the gate he sees like the man and the two girls at the corner he's like you did this and the guy's like no mr turner we tried but we couldn't she had to do this herself she made her own choice she has chosen to save us all and bedrooms like on fire leanne's an addict she puts a record on she starts you know it's, it's like slow music whatever she starts kind of dancing and then like smoke and flames are starting to come up the stairs she puts on some perfume and then she puts it in her eyes i was like what I think it was perfume. She continues dancing. Um, and then it's like, wait, can Sean see her in the window from the street? Dorothy's like, you know, holding on to him, like clutching him. Then Leanne takes a knife to herself. And it's like, wait, did she stab herself? I wasn't really sure. Or did she, I think she just cut her arms. And then there's, you can hear sirens coming, which is surprising considering the, all the storm and everything like that, how quickly they're responding. Leanne's like twirling around with her eyes closed. And then this, I didn't like this part, man. And like, there's just flames all around her. The record stops playing because it's just like melting and everything like that. Then her arm catches on fire. I think it was like her right arm. And then she starts screaming and then she's like engulfed in flames. And then the floor beneath her just gives out. Whoosh, she just falls through the floor. This big, you know, huge fire. Then it, it's either the next day or later on, everything's calm. You, you see like, like just a, charred remains of the house you know and it's pretty much self-contained in just a house like the two like a townhouse or whatever on the sides are like okay so sean dorothy and julian are just like on the street then this this officer tells sean you know they're, they're like separate and he says it was like oh you got a nasty injury you know hospital said your stitches ripped open while this was happening sean's just kind of like in a daze just nods the officer's like you gonna be all right to answer some questions and he's like yeah he's like i'll tell you anything you want to know Southern so officers tells Dorothy that the fire department couldn't determine the source. They knew they just know that it grew fast. So she's like, guess it was like a gas leak or, or some kind. But then I realized this is the same officer who tried talking to Dorothy when Jericho died. And then she's like, have you had these type of issues before? And Dorothy just looks at her. She's like, it's an old house. Then this other officer asked Julian's like, are you waiting for someone? And Julian's just like the body bag. And the officer's like, well, we haven't found any remains yet. He's like, are you sure someone was in there? Then the, the first officer asked Sean if he has a place to stay tonight. And he's like, yeah, I booked us a hotel. So the officer says, uh, you know, think of this as a blank slate. You know, you'll get compensation. You can do the place up really nice, fix all the things that bugged you before. Sean's like, I don't think we're coming back. Dorothy says to the officer, she's like, I remember you. She's like, you were there that day, that day my son died. She's like, you were kind to me. And she's like, thank you. She's like, I think maybe the dead are always with us. Maybe not in physical form, but, and an officer's like, a lot of people say that. And she's like, I'm sure there's truth in it. Dorothy continues. She's like, I think that in some spectacular moments, we get to see them again. And then the officer is like, I got in a bad wreck when I was 17. I crashed my parents' car doing hundred miles per hour on, on a, the freeway. It's like, I didn't have a pulse when the paramedics got there she's like i always felt that maybe you know we were brought back because he understood pain we're supposed to help good people dealing with horrible things people like you and dorothy stares at her she's like you're one of them and then the officer's like 
the Church of Lesser Saints, they saved me. They helped me join the police force, and when I was ready, they asked me to keep an eye on one of our sisters. And she's like, Leanne? So then the three are back together. Dorothy, she can totally walk fine now. I was like, what the heck? So I, I'm sure maybe there's some, I, maybe it had something to do with, with uh, Leanne. Maybe she caused it and as a punishment for being mean to her. And then it was like slowly wearing off. I don't know. Julian says, he's like, they didn't find a body yet. And Sean's like, maybe the cult covered it up. And Julian's like, well, maybe somehow she made it out. Dorothy's like, Leanne is gone. And Julian says like, we have the worst fudging luck in the world. Dorothy's like, I don't know. I think we might be all right. And looking at Sean, she's like, let's start over. Sean's like, oh, I'll call a cab. Before they get in, Dorothy's like, Sean, you never gave up on me. She's like, thank you. He's like, you came back to me. And a cab drives away. Julian's like walking, gets a coffee. He exits a coffee shop and that officer walks up to him. She has to have a, a, a word and he's like, or because she's like, you know, we need to talk. And he's like, oh, I already answered everything. He's like, what else is there? And she's like, Christmas last year. And this is the part where it's like, whoa. It's like, Christmas last year. It's like, your heart stopped. And there's a flashback when he was doing too much like cocaine or drugs, or whatever. He's like, falls out of the hall bathroom. And then Leanne like pounds on his chest, like gives him a kiss. And he, he gasps and he comes to. He's like, what? He's like, no. And the officer's like, you're sober now. Maybe you're seeing things a bit more clearly. You're, you probably feel stronger. He's like, I, I think I have to go now. The officer's like, when you're given a second chance, it's for a purpose. And he's like, oh, Jesus. He's like, what are you trying to say to me? He's like, what the fudge are you trying to say? Officer's like, I think you know. We'll be here when you're ready to talk. We're family now. And then she's like, walks back to her, her squad car. Julian like turns and sees his reflection in the window. And there's like angel wings behind him. But he turns around and there's like this bird going after like a worm on this you know building like painted on, on across the street he just stands there and he's just like holy spit but he doesn't say spit so that's the end um and so that's that's the i i guess my thing is what what does all this mean for for leanne and and you know maybe i'm just a little blockhead and i, I can't really figure it out but it seemed like you know she was trying to do the right thing and then maybe she got a little corrupted and then just started to take, you know, going down a dark path. So maybe, you know, she had to kill herself to, I, which that just seems weird. So I, I don't know. It, it's just a bummer because, you know, it always felt like she was trying to, you know, save to be nice to the family. You know, she brought back Jericho, but then it's just things just got dark. I mean, I guess she, she was kind of mean to Sean at the beginning you know, with, with all the, the, the twigs or whatever splinters in his mouth and everything, or he couldn't taste anything. But so she's gone. But now, what does this mean for for uh, Julian? It's like, is he gonna go and help someone? He seems like he can barely help himself. So it was just interesting. Uh, I, I guess part, you know, I wasn't expecting Leanne to die, but you know, so that 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 adds some, you know, some surprise or t twist or you know, not not like the traditional twist, but so it was it was it was a good series. Uh, and and Jericho's gone, so so that's the thing. It's like, how was he alive in the beginning? With like, where does this power come from? What does all this mean? And so it just kind of leaves you hanging. And then you know, because that's the end, we'll, we'll never know. But I guess you just take it for what it is and and what it's implying. So that was something. That was a servant. So um, what's next now? <laughs>
or for M Night Shyamalan. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really glad that you know we, we got four seasons of that because I didn't know what to expect. Okay, <laughs> and now Gotham Knights. So I know I'm a week behind. You know, the second episode's uh, already out. I don't think I'm going to cover this normally. Uh, I'm just going to say that I decided to watch. I watched it over the weekend. Um, but it was after I recorded the last episode. It was like, you know, towards, it was like Sunday. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, last week's episode was already like almost four hours long. So I'm just like, I'm not going to talk about it. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Uh, it's at Rotten Tomatoes for the first episode. It's at 18% from the critics and 57% from the audience. Interesting thing is after I watched it, I went on IMDb and I just went to, I was like, oh, what are the user reviews are? And it was it was pretty low to overall, but there was like a bunch of reviews there. There were like 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. It's like, oh, this is the best thing. It's like, this is the best DC show. Uh, I can't believe this. And uh, I'm just like, what? Uh, what? I don't know what, what. So that is just so bizarre because it's. I should look up what it was. I mean, it was at least like a five for all these like positive, like perfect scores. You know, because we see the, the the opposite happen sometimes when people are like you know negative, you know, review bombing or whatever. And but it's like, why? Who is trying to praise this? And as much as people might find it hard to believe, I don't think people. Well, I can't really speak on, on this end, but you know, critics don't get paid to review you know things favorably there there's no compensation you can't do that there's no way i don't i don't see how you could i don't see how any studio could ever even consider this because if you approach a a journalist or or whatever and say hey we're gonna you know do this we'll compensate you we'll give you special treatment we'll do something if you you know cut us a break here because if they ask the wrong person and you know some people might be like yeah sure great well, I would hope not. But if they like ask someone and they're like, hey, can you do this? And I, I'd be like, are you serious? <laughs> blink, blink, blink. Studio just offered a bribe. And, you know, so you, you can't do that. And it doesn't happen. As people always, you know, I've been accused. I really like this one, you know, whatever comic. Oh, I got paid. <laughs> it's just, just so stupid. They don't do that. Now, whether a social media company would hire i mean i would again i would really hope not so maybe it's just a group of fans that you know like the show and they're doing i really have no idea but i saw those reviews i'm just this is crazy so it's it's i i'm i'm curious about the show i'm tempted to keep watching it but there's just no way I, I can add it to the schedule of the shows that I covered. If there was maybe you know a couple of shows less, I would maybe be willing just for for the the fun of it. Uh, kind of how like I'm where I'm at with the Flash now, where I, I'm just kind of doing that to light, lightly, politely poke fun at it. You know, I, I enjoy the show and I just think it's it's gotten a little absurd. But this show is just it's nuts and. I, I, it was kind of like a shock to the system. I'm watching this. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So, okay, here, here's what I see. You know, I didn't read anything. didn't read any reviews or anything. I had no idea what's going on. It starts off kind of where, you know, at one point you see like three kids kind of easily break into Wayne Towers and they easily break into Bruce's office. So I'm just like, what about security, all this stuff like that? It's like, I think that there would be more. So they 
easily broke into break into Bruce's safe. And apparently Bruce kept Joe Chill's gun in there. So it's like, why can these kids so easily break into all this stuff? We don't really, you know, it kind of cuts away. So the the Batman son in here, it's because uh, he talks about like when his parents died and when he was uh, you know, adopted by Bruce. So it's like, okay, it's not Damian Wayne. His parents were killed, so he was adopted. So I'm like, wait, I the thought it was like actually like Batman's son. It's, it's, this shows how little I looked into this or heard about this. So I was like, are we going with Dick Grayson? I was like, that's that's kind of bold, considering we have Dick Grayson and Titans. Even though Titans is like ending, you know, they just have half the season and it's over. So it's like, is this Dick Grayson? It's not Dick Grayson. It's not Jason Todd. It's not Tim Drake. It's Turner Hayes. And I'm like, who the fudge is Turner Hayes? Turner Hayes? What the heck? Who is that? I meant to look up. I was like, is there some obscure character named Turner Hayes in the comics? Who the heck is Turner Hayes? Of Batman has so many Robins, so many sons, and they're just like, we're just going to make a new one. So I'm like, what the heck? Oh, so so uh, I going back to when, when the kids were in the office, and then uh, – They'd seen this other room. And it's like you're bad. I forget. There's like some message written there, and the window's broken. They look out, and Bruce Wayne is on the ground. He's dead. He's like in a suit, and he has like a bat cowl on his, like put on his head as he was pushed. So, in this first episode, we don't really know how Batman was killed. So easily, just pushed out the window, and that's that is how Batman dies. Which that right there is kind of an insult to the character. That he just he gets caught off guard or whatever or something happens and you know maybe he was I don't know but it's just he he's he's just dead and it's just crazy so there's no like Commissioner Gordon or anything like that uh, the main uh, link at the the police force is, is Harvey Dent he's a DA at first I'm like wait is Harvey a police officer and Harvey it's weird because in some ways it feels like that this is taking place like after like regular, you know, the current chunk of, of Batman stuff. But Harvey Dent is just normal. You know, he's never been Two-Face or anything like that, we, we can assume. There is um, some other, some other uh, it's besides Turner Hayes, there are like real characters. They mention um, Olive Silverlock. She's from that Gotham Academy, right? I, I'm not crazy. Because uh, then there's a... Because uh, Bruce or Bruce Turner's friend is Stephanie Brown, and you know because she mentions like Bruce kind of hooking up with with Olive or something like that. You know because like I don't know if there's they're they're really good friends, but there's no romantic stuff because uh, Stephanie was like kind of hooking up, making out with this generic jerky guy named Brody. He's like such a dork, and then there there's also a. Uh, because uh, Turner decides to have a party at his house because ba- Bruce's dad, adopted dad, was out of town or something like that. And uh, this girl sh- is there, Carrie. She's like, oh, I'm in your trig class or something like that because, you know, Turner barely knows her. So this, I was like, Carrie, it, turns, it is Carrie Kelly. So then, the, the you know, Harvey and the police come, you know, his dad is dead and all that stuff. Then Turner's like with Stephanie and he like easily finds the Batcave. You know, because he hears like a hum or something. He's like, you hear that or something like that? And then he like somehow pushes the, the secrets. Somehow he gets in there and they go to go down there and they're like, whoa, they find out stuff. They're, oh, there's no Alfred in the show. So that that's why it makes me think that this is um, 
after because there's this woman named Cressida, and it, it's mentioned something like that that you know Bruce had Alfred and you know Turner has Cressida, so I guess in this history or what continuity Harvey Dent was never Two Faced, but what Alfred must be dead. So you know how was this like an older Batman? I don't really know. So w- with the kids, we find out that you know one of them is Dula. Um, I don't know if, if she's Dula Dent. No, she can't be Dula Dent. But she's supposed to be. She was born in Arkham Asylum. And there's this part where, so when, when or when they sneak out, they they actually they stole a cop car, and so she's like in the back. She sticks her head out the window. She's got like a police cap on, and it, it's totally supposed to be like like Heath Ledger, which is, I mean that that she does a great job sticking her head out the window and kind of seeming like borderline crazy, like psychotic or whatever. But it just felt like it was like an insult to Heath Ledger just to, to try to mimic that. So, but whatever. So the other, so there, there was it was two girls and, and, a, and a boy that did this. The other girl turns out is Harper Rowe because you know they, uh, when she's being interrogated, they get busted. Whatever. This is before. Um, you know she had straight A's. She was on honor roll. She dropped out of high school seven months before graduation. She makes a point to say that she's bisexual. And, you know, about like her, her father, you know, couldn't hand accept it or something like that. But which in the comics, I'm trying to think, I don't know if Harper Rowe and maybe I'm just so oblivious or maybe I'm just totally forgetting something. I think she might be. I don't know if Harper is full on, you know, gay or if she is bi. Her brother is definitely gay. But you know, so it's like both. I, I, you know, it doesn't matter. But it was just weird that you know they they like specifically say that it's like yeah, we're, we have inclusion in the show, we have representation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then when they mention her her brother Cullen Rowe, this there's this one like jerky cop. He's like, oh, but his birth certificate says, and then Harvey's like, don't don't use his dead name. And so I was like, wait, what does that mean? So Cullen Cullen isn't really her real brother. But his dead name, so like, I don't know what what that means. The, <laughs> we see Stephanie must be like some sort of hacker because she uses the back computer. The back computer is kind of kind of small compared to what we've seen before. She's with uh, Turner, and you know she's she sees that she has access to the banks and uh, it you know because there was a, a hundred grand that was paid to the killers that they think that the kids are the killers. So they're gonna she's gonna do a search for withdrawals. And she's like, I have access to the banks, to all the banks at the same time. And then she's like, I could do serious damage with this, which is kind of lame or whatever. So then uh, she finds uh, the withdrawals that total the amount. They came from Turner's account. So now it looks like Turner paid them to kill his dad, to kill Bruce. And uh, it also turns out that Bruce had an appointment to change his will with his lawyer about the will. So now the, the question is, was he going to change his will and take Turner out? So Turner decides to kill him. So, so then that this sort of angry jerky, his name's Ford. It, it doesn't matter, which I'll, you'll see why. Um, I think Harvey told uh, Turner at some point that they found a coin on Bruce because it's like, does this mean anything to you? It was, it was a, it's like basically a court of owl coin has a symbol, but it's like supposed to be like a sixth century coin. 
Um, when Turner gets brought in, you know, he's arrested by the jerky cop and, and Harvey's like, take those cuffs off or whatever. The Wayne's, the Wayne's lawyers or Wayne tech or whatever, they refuse to represent him. They don't, they don't want to get involved because they think that he, maybe he actually did kill Bruce. And then Turner is put in the same holding cell as the three kids, which is so completely stupid. Duel gets all in his face. She's like, "Oh, you framing us?" She's like, "You know, your your my pop, your pop killed my pop, or or something, or I killed your." Pop. It's like something like that. So I don't know if Joker's supposed to be dead in this this world. And then he's mentions he's like, "Yeah, to Duel, he's like, your prints were found on the gun because she took the gun out of the safe, and she's like, this is still warm. So that was the gun. That's, oh, I guess that's why Bruce got shot by the gunner. I don't know. But when he says that her prints were on a gun, she headbutts him, and then she starts hitting him." Harper's like, like, dude, you got to stop this. And then she like kicks Harper like that. So there's like fight going on. Cops finally come in to separate them because it's like so stupid. Uh, Turner decides, you know, he asked to get his one phone call. He decides to call Stephanie because he wanted to just talk to someone he could trust instead of like trying to get a lawyer or anything like that. So all the kids are going to get transferred out together to, I guess, some prison or something like that. So they're all in the back of the, you know, prison transport thing and uh then they they thank turner for being convincing with the fight he's like what so they wanted to get all the cops in there so they can get a way out they needed something to pick the locks and then they they showed it they somehow got something off of them so they they tell him they're like you know we didn't kill your dad any more than you did so we just need to escape together and then doula is like and she's like trying to do undo her cuffs like in plain sight like not even trying to be you know sneaky about it and that jerky four he's like what are you doing and she's like i'm trying to get the cuff off but the spin's not working and she's like colin and harper got theirs off and then he's like what and he looks at him and they start like fighting them or whatever they easily beat down the cops and there's no concern over attack they're attacking officers so this is like assault and then the, the driver he ends, ends up getting tased you know because there's a little window and in, and in, in the you know just separating them and he's out. So Turner, you know, they, they uncuff Turner. He easily reaches through this window through like the gate, but he could like practically crawl through there. And it's like, I think there would be like more bars or, you know, it wouldn't be as easy. So he's like trying to grab the steering wheel and then it, the truck ends up like crashing and like tipping. So Dula is, is the, there's like a couple cars like in front and behind or whatever, you know, other officers. So when they come out, Dula holds a gun to Ford, and and she's like about to shoot him. And Turner gets in the way. He's like, "No!" And she's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm doing what my dad would want." So she's like, "She's like, they don't care if we're innocent." And Ford's like, "She's right." So it turns out Ford was in on it, you know, because he he gets they get the drop on you know after, after uh, Turner blocked them, they they all have their guns on them now. So Ford's like, "You just made my job a lot." easier he's like sorry kid and then he's you know he's holding a gun on him he's about to shoot or whatever and then a battering hits him in the hand and then there's like this other back edge that applies it so someone jumps out it's carrie kelly and then she says that she calls herself robin so it's just like what <laughs> so carrie and you know she reveals her identity she shows him whatever she said that she saved Batman at one point. You know, she like dragged him out of like a something. I forget what it was. So she became his eyes and ears, like on the street. He even called her his little Robin. 
And, you know, Turner didn't know anything about this because he didn't want Turner to follow him down that path because he was impressed that Turner never gave into the darkness like he did. And, you know, he's like, you know, as, as much of a hero as, 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 you know, he was, Batman's hero was actually Turner. Then Harvey, you know, does a, like a press conference. He says that they're going to hunt down these fugitive and, you know, anyone who aids or, or bets them, whatever. Carrie says that Ford had an alibi and... Cullen, he's like, so they're all together. They're like at the, like the clock tower or something like that. And Cullen stole his watch when, when they were fighting or something like that. And he's like, you know, it's it's, it's pretty expensive for a, a dirty cop. He's like, but the engraving on the back is going to ruin the street value. Turner, he's like, let me see that. It's a court of owl symbol on there, which seems like it would be annoying on the back of a watch. But then Dula grabs a watch. She's like, we should have let him kill us because we're already dead. And she's and like, what? She's like, it's a symbol of the court of owls. They're the ones who really run the city. She's like, no one knows who they are and no one dares ask. And then she like recites this, you know, beware the court of owls that watches all the time, ruling Gotham from a shadowed perch behind granite and lime. They watch you at your hearth. They watch you in your bed. Speak not a whispered word of them or they'll send a talon for your head. And while she's doing this, Cressida burns a will. You couldn't really see if there's any changes or anything. I have no idea. It just throws it in a fireplace. And then this talon comes up to Ford in a par- like a parking garage. Whoosh, just chops his head, like decapitates him. His head just Because <laughs> I guess he failed. <laughs> so that means that, you know, the Court of Owls is behind all this, obviously, because there is a coin in Bruce's pocket. Little things like that. So now I'm like, Okay, what does this mean? You know, where where is this going to go? My biggest problem is the fact that these kids, you got these street kids, and they're able to like take down like fight police officers, and they're just street kids. You know, like, where do they learn to fight so well? And and I don't know. It's just like the attitude because you know it's um, now no you know no offense or anything, but it's it's got like that you know CW kind of vibe to it. You know, not not as much maybe, but the fact that. They're trying to appeal towards a younger audience. So let's make these, you know, kids kind of all smart asses, you know, and they're all able to fight and they're all, you know, I guess good looking. I don't know. And it's just, yes, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to watch the show just because of time. But I am curious. I don't know. My, my DVR is still kind of full because from other stuff I haven't watched so I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like record it. We'll see. It's just a weird and wacky show. <laughs> That's what makes me curious. I'm I'm really like because you know I I could accept it in that, and you know I'm I'm not going to be like this this snobby you know comic like this isn't Batman. You can't do this. Your characters this should never happen. You can't kill you can't kill them. And, and so I'm just really I'm I'm curious or intrigued to see this as kind of like like a science experiment or it's like some weird thing. It's like, well, what happens if Batman did die? What would this? What would the results be? You know, and so yeah, I'm curious, but we'll see. <laughs> so that that's a pilot episode. Um, I, I may I don't know. Yeah, I I, I still got to watch this. I'm, I'll probably watch the second one, but I don't know if I'll talk about it. Okay, then Superman and Lois, season three, episode two, Uncontrollable Forces. This, um, this, this was something. It kind of, kind of caught me a little off guard for I don't know whatever reason, and we'll, we'll get to it. So there's some heavy stuff happening, and um, yeah, it, it, it just, it kind of blew me away, and it just, it's a, 
it just really shows how great the actors are that and you know that the fact that yeah, I, I I love the CW shows. You know, I, I always I kind of lightly poke fun at them, and you know, it's everyone kind of knows what, the reason for it. You know, it's not necessarily unexpected, but but this one. So it starts off. We see Lois. She's at the the doctor's, Doctor Irons, and um, she signs like some consent form. She, she looks concerned. They're running some more tests. Then it cuts to like she's laying next to like Clark in bed at night and she's just, you know, got this, she, she's totally distracted. You know, he's, he's like asleep or falling asleep and she's just, there's something on her mind. And then we see her at the doctor. There's like some like patch on her chest. So it's like, um, is this breast cancer or something? So then, uh, they have dinner at the diner. There's like other people I, I forget who they're with, but you can tell she's just kind of distracted or whatever. Then at work, she's kind of like looking at like Clark and Chrissy, you know, working and just like some smiling. Then she gets a, a phone call just from different doctors and she gets some re- results. So then it cuts to the kitchen at, at the, the farm. She's distracted when Clark and, and the boys come in. The I think that they, I, I miss what happened. There's like a day off of school or something like that. So the, the boys are going to do go somewhere, but they're supposed to be back within what's a certain time or something, like whatever. So they take off. Then Clark's like, are you okay? You know, he, he says that they haven't really had a chance to talk about the pregnancy, but you know, they can still try. And she says that how, you know, it was a fun fantasy, but you know, their lives are pretty full or whatever. Then he's like, Oh, okay. Then in that case, you know, Tal has his, his brother, Tal Rowe, uh, Morganage has this villa in Bali and he says some stuff like that, whatever. And then, but then, you know, she's like, well, you know, we should probably get to the Gazette, you know, cause Chrissy has a, a lead on the new Henry Miller case. So Henry Miller is a Adam man or whatever to guide it that got killed last episode, but then brought back from, from through Mannheim and inner gang, whatever. Then we see, uh, Nat, Natasha and Sarah at the diner and Sarah's surprise when, cause I, apparently Nat said that she hasn't had any crushes on her old world. And that's like, it's like, what, what's it even matter? And Sarah's like, well, because, you know, we have a free skip day and I didn't think we'd spend it actually doing homework. Cause you know, Natasha's on her laptop. And she's like, you know, what if he's on this world? It could be like Romeo and Juliet, you know, but no one has to die. So then Nat's finally like, like, fine. There was this one guy who was kind of cute. Uh, his name was Travis Michael. So Sarah like searches and she's like, oh my God, he is cute. And she's like, you found him already? And she's like, yeah, and he's throwing a party. His, his house is insane. And she's like, we have to go. You know, it's meant to be. And that's like, she looks and she's like, we can't just go to Metropolis. And Sarah's like, why not? She's like, I have a car. And she, she's like, you know, her, her mom is busy with, with mayor stuff. And she's like, you can finish your homework tomorrow. And that's like, well, I'm actually doing a project for the DOD. Sarah's like, well, then you can definitely finish tomorrow. So that's like, fine. You know, she closes her laptop. They get up to, to leave and then the boys come in and they're like, hey. And Sarah's like, oh, yeah, we're just leaving. So you, you can take our seat. And Jordan's like, oh, what are you, what are you doing later? He's like, you know, we can hang out if, if you want or, or not. And it starts getting a little awkward. And that's like, well, actually. And then Sarah's like, it's kind of a girl's thing. And then they like start off. And George just like, he's left standing there. Kind of like, he's staring like a creep. It's like, dude, just sit down. Chrissy is like, riddle me this. She's like, you know, why would a judge turn down, a, you know, Miller's petition for release three times only to allow it, you know, that last time. So Chrissy got lois an interview with the judge in charge it basically it's to ambush her because it's like under false pretenses that they're gonna like ask her something else but lois again is distracted then clark's like do you want me to go with you know it could be like classic lois and clark team up whatever and they talk about this one thing and and she's like yeah when you forgot to you know hit record on a tape recorder and he's like one time just one time it happened 
and then she's like, well, I don't really need it. And he's like, well, I could shave some time off your commute. So she's like, okay, fine. So Nat, <laughs> and it's funny, they, they fly off. All, all these papers go flying. And Chrissy's like, where are those paperweights? Because, you know, she's left having to clean up the mess. Then Nat tells John Henry about going to Metropolis. And he seems a little concerned. And he's like, well, I was making your favorite tortellini tonight, whatever. And then she mentions a party. He's like, are there going to be boys there? Is there going to be alcohol? And she's like, she's like, Dad, she's like, you wanted me to hang out around with high school kids and everything. And, you know, she says that she's not going to be drinking. You know, Sarah's going to be driving. And um, Sarah lies to her mom because she says that she's going to go over to Nats for a movie marathon. And then, uh, you know, Lana's like, like, well, what, what are you going to see? And then she's like, oh, you know, the classics. And then she gets a phone call. So Sarah is able to make her escape. It's George, the former mayor, and he's like panicked. He's like, hey, I made a mistake, whatever. And there's like this loud noise, whatever. And she like can barely hear. It. She's like, George, what, what, what's, where are you? At? What's going on? And then Anamanapea arrives. So there's more noise, and then she hears like a gunshot, and we see George is like dead. He's like like slammed into like the windshield of a car. Lois and Clark are waiting for the judge in the chamber, and you know they're they're kind of like you know where's this judge? You know why is she keeping us waiting? And it's because you know when the judge comes in, she said that. Um, they they got there you know faster than she thought or something like that. But before she gets there, Clark's like, because Lois said that she had something with her dad that morning, and you know Clark's like, did something happen with your dad? Where she's like, no, whatever. And then so the judge is like, like, oh, you know what do you you know talk? I forget what they were supposed to interview her about. But then Lois is just she just cuts to the chase. She's like, we have a few questions about Henry Miller, and then like the judge's face is dropped. She's just like, what? Jonathan, meanwhile, gets a, a text from Eliza. So at first I was like, wait, who's Eliza? Because about this big crazy party in Metropolis. And Jordan's like, oh, you're not driving to Metropolis. And Jonathan's like, no, but maybe you could fly us there. And he's like, you mean like me carry you? And Jonathan's like, you know, it's it's time you got to move on. And then Jordan's like, why is Eliza te texting you? Didn't, you know, she dump you or whatever? Did you guys break up? And he's like, yeah. So I was like, wait, did they break up? This is his Metropolis girlfriend. So I think he still has his, his Smallville girlfriend. Because I think she might have been at the party last episode. But Jonathan, well, I didn't mention last week about the, the new Jonathan. And part of it is I didn't want to like, it, yeah, recasting happens, you know, and, and it was unfortunate, whatever. New Jonathan is fine. You know, I, I actually, I so far, you know, only based off of two episodes, I kind of like the old Jonathan there's there's something about him I mean he had he had not really quirkiness but he was not really like a smart Alec but there's just something uh, just some sort of charm to him and I'm not saying that this new Jonathan doesn't have that I mean he looks a little more like Jordan you know with just darker hair you know but he, he's so far he's, he's good I mean he's it's it's been a seamless transition I would say but Jonathan says that last week Eliza texted him, you know, happy birthday. And so it seems like they're cool again. Um, Chrissy has went over to George's death scene and she's talking to Kyle there. And he's like, yeah, we just found a body. It looks like he has a shotgun wound, but we haven't been able to find any pellets. It's like they just disappeared or something. So, you know, they're, they're like talking and stuff. Like then Lana comes up. So Chrissy kind of like, like, okay, thanks, whatever. And she like leaves. I don't know if it's because it's going to be awkward. You know, she doesn't want to talk to her since she slept with her ex-husband. And then Kyle's like, oh, how are you holding up, whatever? And he's like, I'm here if you need to talk, whatever. So at the party, it's this huge mansion. There's even like this DJ there or whatever. They see the guy, um, Sarah and Nat, they, they see the guy, whatever. He's like talking to this girl. And then, then they're like, oh, whatever, you know, like that. And then they start smooching. So 
then Sarah's like, well, maybe there are other cute guys here. Then Jordan and Jonathan arrive and Eliza sees them and she's like, oh, and you brought your brother. And then she's like, can we talk alone for a moment? So I was like, ouch. Nat's like, you know, maybe we should just go home. But but then Sarah notices this other boy that's been staring at Nat. So Sarah gets up and Nat's like, what are you doing? She goes to talk to him and she brings the boy over and she's like, his name is Mateo. And, and he, he says that he was working up the nerve to talk to her, but uh, Nat's wing woman forced his hand. <laughs> but then we see like another part like inside the house Jordan like walks in these three girls walk by him and he like awkwardly worries his hand he's like hi um, I'm Jordan and they just like keep walking past him then he sees Sarah so then he turns around before Sarah can see him and, and he like bumps into this, this like jock guy carrying like a couple drinks big mess but between you know all over both of them and then the dork's like this better come out or I'm gonna beat your ass and Jordan's like oh I, I'm really sorry and everything Sarah comes up to him and with Lois and Clark, the judge, she's like, I have nothing more to say. And Clark's like, we just want you you know, to have a chance to, to say your side. And she's like, I released him because of his terminal brain tumor. And Lois is like, are you aware that he not only lived months after his release, but he also displayed superpowers? And she's like, what? So she says that you know, he was the one fighting Superman and caused damages in the tens of millions. And then Clark can hear like her heart racing. And he's like, judge, are, are you all right? And she, then she's like, I said all I'm going to say. And Lois is like, did someone pressure you to release him? This like dorky guy in a suit comes in like with two goons, whatever. He's, he's like, you need to leave. And Clark's like, hey, you don't, he, he, you know, one of the guys comes up to him. He's like, hey, you don't need to get violent, whatever. And Lois is all like, don't touch me. <laughs> and a dork, he says that he has a message for her. So um, according to IMDb, his name was Elias Ort. Or, but I think that was, I think it's supposed to be Or who is a, a character in the comics, like the cyborg, like mercenary dude or something like that. But, uh, so he shows, uh, like something to the judge on his phone and Lois is like, what's on that phone? She's like, who do you work for? And the judge is like, you have to leave. So then Clark goes up to Lois outside. He's like, were you ever going to tell me? And she's like, about what? And he's like, Harry's is close. He's like, it's a smoothies place now. And then he's like, what did you think I was talking about? And so she's super distracted, whatever. So he's like, look, I, I know something's bothering you and it's not just this case. And I know you're in work mode, but I'm here if you want to talk. And then she sees a dude come out with his goons and get into his car. She's like, you have to go follow him. She's like, we need to know who he's working for. She's like, I'm going to you know, wait out here for the judge. Nat is still talking to this Mateo boy. They start talking about horror movies and you know, she's all passionate and everything about that. Then he starts just like staring at her when she talks. And then she says that, you know, um, or he says that he wishes she never left Met High, Metropolis High. And he's like, you know, her friend caught her staring at her because he recognized her. And she's like, I was only there for one day. And, you know, he says that he was asking about her and she became this mystery girl that he never, you know, saw again. And she's like, well, I'm here now. So uh, Eliza has a gift for Jonathan. It's like in this little box. And as she, he opens it, I don't know if it's, if it's like a dude bracelet or something like that. He's like, wow. He's like, it's it's nice. I don't know if he's being sarcastic or whatever because he couldn't really see it. So, and she's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, oh, I'm glad you like it. And then she's like, there's one more thing. You know, just follow me. Meanwhile, inside, Sarah gives Jordan her flannel since his shirt is wet. And he's like, oh, I wasn't avoiding you. He's like, I just, uh, I, you know, didn't know that you were here, and I just wanted to give you your space. And she's like, you don't have to give me space. She's like, you're the first guy that I've dated that I've wanted to stay friends with. She's like, this is completely new for me too. And she's, I'm sorry 
if you know if I made you feel like you know you're walking in eggshells. So they tell you to talk some more or whatever. Then they decide it's like, oh, you know, maybe we should play some some beer pong, you know, because there's some like bros over there. And he's like, yeah, but we're not drinking. She's like, well, maybe you know they wouldn't mind if we put some money on the line. So Lana goes over to John Henry's after the shooting. You know, the mayor, the former mayor, gets killed. So you know, she's kind of in panic mode. She goes to find Sarah, and she's like, they're in Metropolis. And he's like, uh, sorry. He's like, I, I thought that they had your permission. And she's like, no. She's like, she fed me a, a lie about a movie marathon. And he's like, well, if it helps, I, I told Nat to be home by midnight. She's like, no. She's like, but it's, it's not your prom. And he's like, if you haven't eaten this, like I made some food. And she's like, well, I, I don't want to bother you. And he's like, no, you'd actually be helping me since, you know, Nat sprung this Metropolis trip on me. So it's like, are these two going to get together? In the city, Lois is still waiting outside a judge's uh, building, whatever. Then uh, people look up as a judge like goes on, to, uh, steps up on a ledge, uh, like the building that she was in. So only like maybe like two or three stories, but still, Lois somehow rushes up to the roof, and the judge is like, "You shouldn't have followed me." And Lois suggests, "She's like, well, why don't you come back in? We can talk." And the judge is like, "You know, I woke up this morning thinking it was a normal day, and then you asked about Henry Miller, and I knew that this was the day that I died." Superman. Um, Meanwhile, he's like floating in the air. He's just kind of like listening around. That dorky dude is like talking to Mannheim. And when he asks about Lois, so now he, in the, the closed caption, he's list, his name is listed as Orr, O-R-R. So Mannheim asks about Lois and Orr's like, oh, she has nothing. And then there's this alert goes off and shows Mannheim on one of his screens. You know, he has multiple cameras like everywhere. Shows that Superman's nearby. And Mannheim's like, we'll continue this later. So then Mannheim calls him. Superman floats down. Mannheim's like, what do you want? He's like, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Superman is like, why, why did you have Henry Miller released? And he, Mannheim's like, is that an accusation? And he's like, why do you care about the Atom Man? And he's like, because when I faced him last week, he had superpowers, something he didn't have before. So Mannheim jokes, he's like, oh, he got powers in prison? He's like, I still don't th- see what this has to do with me. Superman's like, you had Miller released from prison. And Mannheim's like, you got proof? He's like, my whole life, people have been accusing me of things. And Clark or Superman's like, like being the head of inner gang. And Mannheim's like, that's a rumor that never dies. Superman's like, did you give Henry Miller powers? So he says that Superman is the one who brought him to his neighborhood. And he says, you know, people like Lois Lane accuse him of things all the time. Meanwhile, Lois is still talking to the judge, and she says that, you know, judge like, she want to make the world a better place. Then, you know, she found out how it really was, and Lois is like, that's why you have to fight back. She's like, you know, I can protect you. You know, we can stop them. And, you know, you know some people, or she's like, you know, some people are just unstoppable. But Lois is like, she's like, just don't give up. Lana and John Henry are eating dinner, and she's like, oh, I can't believe it's vegan. And, you know, she thanks him for dinner, the food and everything like that. You know, she's been so busy, she hasn't even noticed Sarah's been lying to him. And, you know, she was on the phone with George, and, you know, he was so scared. And he mentioned, like, the pride of Smallville. And she's like, I haven't heard that, um, but I've read it. She's like, it's on the seal in, in her office. Eliza and Jonathan end up in a bedroom, and she's saying, she's like, oh, I missed this you know, talking. And then she starts to kiss him. And then he like, you know, cause they're sitting on a bed, I think. And he gets up, he's like, uh, I have a girlfriend. She's like, we've been texting all week. Plus, you know, you drove all the way up here. And you know, she's like, well, I won't tell anyone if that's what you're worried about. And then Jonathan like stops her. He's like, you know, I made a mistake. She's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. So good for Jonathan. 
Jordan and Sarah are winning at beer pong, and Sarah tells the, the bro to pay up. And they start getting rude. You know, he's like, oh, they're not even drinking, and, and she's just running her mouth. They make fun of, like, Jordan for wearing her flannel. One guy's like, oh, what's next, her panties? Then this other dork's like, it's like, oh, you you goes to Jordan. He's like, you still owe me a drink. So it's the guy that he ran into. And so Jonathan comes up. He's like, what's going on? So then he, uh, the, the bro starts calling Jordan his beer bitch. He's like, get me a beer or you and your hibbly girlfriend can get out of here. And then Lana's like, oh, you want a beer? She's like, here's a beer. So she grabs one of the, the, the beer pong cups, throws a beer in his face. He's like, get out of my house. So they all leave. John Henry so and and Lana they're at, at her the, the mayor's office. He's like checking the seal out, whatever. He finds this little envelope behind. Lois checks it and finds like a USB drive. She puts it in her laptop and it starts like uploading files. Then uh, like the, the the billing starts getting loud and like things are shaking. And she's like, "That's what I heard before George was killed." And then we see Anamanape is like in the outer office. So their their ears are hurting. The windows start shattering. You know, glass goes flying from like the the outer office to like in Lana's office. Anamanapea's face kind of morphs or whatever, and they're like lying on the ground. It's like the noise is just, like so intense. And he's like veins popping out of like John Henry's head, and then Anamanapea comes up to them and grabs a thumb drive. And the two, you know, they're still in agony or whatever. And then Anamanapea causes her laptop to just whoosh, like get smashed and walks out. So lucky for them, Anamanapea didn't kill them Mannheim and Superman are still talking and he's like you know what they call this place when I was a kid suicide slums because people around here started to lose hope and take their own lives so he said he had a front row seat while people like Lex Luthor and Morgan Edge became billionaires while people around him choked and he learned at a very early age no one was going to come here to save them he's like so I became the person they looked up to I transformed this community I gave them hope I created real change not just put out fires He's like, the whole time you've been on this planet, you haven't changed a damn thing. And and then Superman, like, hears the judge and Lois. So the judge says that, you know, she doesn't have any other choice. Lois, like, there's always another choice. Mannheim sees it. Superman's listening to something. He's like, see, another fire. Superman's like, we're not done. And Mannheim's like, oh, we're done. He's like, never step foot in my house again, acting like you're better than me. And it's like, he, when did he ever do that? Superman just, like, zips off. Lois is like, we can get you help. And then she's like, there is no help. He's like, what's coming for me is uncontrollable. And Lois says that she knows what that feels like, you know, not knowing if anything can be done. She says that, you know, she's facing something uncontrollable too. Superman arrives as, as Lois is talking and they like lock eyes. Lois is like, I just found out I have cancer and it's aggressive. And all day I've been trying to hang on to hope, but it's really hard because I'm scared. But I know that the only way to take back control is to fight. If I can do it, you can do it too. And she's like, you're much stronger than you think you are. The judge like turns and looks at her. And then she steps down off the, 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 like, the railing. And then they hug. And Lois looks up at Superman. And he's just like floating there like in shock. And then the judge goes off with the police inside. Superman goes up to Lois. And they just like hug tightly. So back home in the kitchen, they're sitting and she says that, you know, she didn't have a lump, you know, because if she was young, you know, it could have been like any number of things, whatever. She didn't have a full history, a medical history, because her mom, her mom left her, you know, whatever. So Dr. Irons um, did a like a biopsy. She has inflammatory breast cancer. It's a rare and ag aggressive and it's hard to detect, but they were able to detect it. 
she's like, I should have told you sooner. And he's like, no, he's like, you don't have to apologize. And she says she just wanted to process on her own. You know, she didn't want to scare him or have him look at her like she was sick. They hug again. And he's like, you're the strongest person I know. He's like, I promise. He's like, I'll never look at you any other way. He's like, we're going to get through this together. He's like, you're going to beat this thing. He's like, there's not a doubt in my mind. So it's just like, just like you, you can see like the, the, the concern and just like the, the sadness, you know, like just dealing with this. And, and the thing is, you know, I, I feel like in, in dramas and shows, you know, every once in a while you, you get the, the breast cancer or just a regular cancer scare. You know, it's like it's supposed to be this big, heavy thing. It's supposed to be all emotional and traumatic and everything. And so when it comes up, it kind of feels like a little cliche. It's like really you're, you're pulling, you know, this card out. But they, they make it work. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that. So the kids are off somewhere. Um, you know, they, they, they stopped off somewhere. Sarah like, said that she should apologize to everyone for ruining the day. Then Jordan does this like hard landing. And it, it might be, I don't know if it is, but I think it was the first time Sarah saw him do that because she almost seemed like in awe or whatever. He shows him a video. So he iced the, the party guy's new car and it's like sliding down the driveway a little bit. And then... um. Then she gets like, she's looking and she gets like the shock, you know, something's like happened. So in the evil doctor lab, Henry Miller's like thrashing about on, on a strap table since he was re like resurrected. Mannheim's there and he's like, how long has he been like this? And Anamanapea's, you know, Drew arguing, Anamanapea's like enough. You know, they in inject Miller with something, whatever. Then he like flatlines. So Anamanapea says, I told you it wasn't going to work. And man, I don't know if Anamanapea is a, a man or a woman. Because when when Anamapaya starts talking, it almost sounds like it was like it's a woman's voice. But because Mannheim says that this was just one trial, and Anamapaya, she whatever she's like, you know, says like you know what happened in Smallville. You know, Mannheim says that the idiot lawyer is dead. Anamapaya says that John Henry Irons isn't, and Mannheim's like, but you killed him. And Anamapaya is like, I know. So Anamapaya saw that it was John Henry. In, in the the mayor's office, so Sarah rushes home and she asks you know her mom if she's okay, whatever. She's like, yeah, and you know John Henry's putting like new security system, and Sarah's like, I'm sorry, whatever. And Lana's like, we'll talk about that later. So you know John John Henry and Nat are gonna you know go home now. The boys come home and you know they're like they're like oh they're in the kitchen you know they're like we could just say we got turned around they're like oh I already used that excuse whatever. So then they, they walk in the kitchen. They, they see them sitting at the table, so they know something's up. And Lois is like, boys, you need to sit down. Clark stands up. He's like, boys, your mom has something to tell you, and I want you to know we're going to get through this together as a family. So Lois is like, I was just diagnosed with stage 3 inflammatory breast cancer. And then, you know, that's all we really hear because, like, the music, you know, starts to, you know, get louder or whatever. And, and we just, you know, she's talking, but, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have to hear it. But you can just see, like, their, their faces react. They get up. They go to her. They, like, hug her and everything like that. And, and, and you can see Clark. He's just, like, trying to be strong. And, you know, he puts his hand out, like, on, on them or everything like that. So it's just, like, heavy duty. You know, if, if we think about it, like, oh, is, is Lois going to die from this? Probably not. But if this is the last season, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go because all the stuff happening with Warner Brothers and CW whatever. But man, it was a. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, it got me emotional. I don't know if it's just I'm in an emotional state, but 
it was just like, oh man, you just it was, it was sad. So that was uh, Superman and Lois. Then with Star Wars: The Bad Batch, season two, episode fourteen, Tipping Point. So this this was a this was a, a, a decent episode, I guess. So we see like three prisoners are being transferred. They're you know clones. They're put on a, a ship, flown off you know off planet. This other ship like jumps out of hyperspace, starts attacking them, and you know so then the, the one pilot tells like the commander or whatever that their hyperdrive has been taken out. It's Rex and Echo and a couple other troopers are like attacking them. Echo says that they need to board that ship and rescue the prisoners before reinforcement arrive. So they dock, they attach, you know, the troopers are put on alert. There's like all these like, you know, stormtroopers or whatever. They start getting stunned by blasters and like stun grenades. And then the commander's like, erase the databanks. And then the ship commander's starting to get nervous. So they, they finally get in, you know, they, they take out the commanders, you know, still there. They're like, where's the ship headed? You know, where are you taking the clones? And then the others say that, you know, this one another is like, they're erasing the databanks. He's like, I'm not sure how much I can get out of this. And then the, the one, he's like, you know, I guess we'll have to get the intel out of the commander, you know, another way. He bites down on something. He's like one of those like capsule zap things in his mouth. So he's dead. Reinforcements arrive and it's a Star Destroyer. TIE fighters launch out. They manage to get back to their ship. They jump to hyperspace. So then uh, we see like some sort of like imperial base or something like that on some other planet. Crosshair is in like his prison. He's taken to that lady doctor. I'm kind of confused. I don't know if her name is Dr. Scalder or because I tried looking up and there's like two different names, but the same character. I don't remember what her name is. And then uh, the other doctor dude, Dr. Hemlock, arrives. And he notices, uh, he, he comments how Crosshair heals fast considering the condition that, you know, they found him in whatever. And then he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're not being punished for shooting your commanding officer. He's like, I actually think that shows initiative. He's like, you know, you're here because I intend to give you a clean slate. He's, he's like, and, and all you have to do in exchange is tell me how to find Clone Force 99. Then he's like, they're in possession of something I need. And Crosshair's like, the kid. And, and Hemlock's like, hmm, very good. Crosshair's like, you're wasting your time. They'll never turn her over. Hemlock says that they don't have a choice. You know, she is a clone and therefore imperial property. He's like, help me locate your former squad and you will have your freedom. I don't know where they are. So Hemlock motions the two troopers. They like force him down, you know, like strap him down or something like that. Hemlock's, you know, says that, but you know how they think, how they operate, contacts they'd reach out to. Surely you have something useful to share. He's like, wrong. He sighs. He's like, let's see if we can jog your memory. So he pulls a, the, the head strap tight. His probe droid comes in with like the big old needle. So other officer informs Hemlock that a transport with prisoners was attacked and that they escaped. So Hemlock tells Scholar to inform him when he's ready to talk and he leaves. So at the, the hidden Coruscant base that like Rex was, was using, um, one of the prisoners talking to Echo and, and Senator, that Senator Chuchi, he says that he was with eight other clones, but they all didn't make it. And then she's like, what crime were you being detained for? And he's like, dissidents, questioning and disobeying imperial orders. Echo says that, you know, they were being shuttled off world when they intercepted them. And the senator asks, where are they being taken? And he says he doesn't know, but other groups of clones were transferred before, like some rotations ago. They never came back. Then Echo says that he got some of the computer logs. It's heavily encrypted, but he knows someone who can crack it. So Crosshair is still being interrogated. Uh, the lady doc stops it, and Trooper's like, oh, we were ordered not to stop until he talks. And she's like, yeah, he can't talk if he's dead. 
she injects him with something, I think it looked like, and then, you know, she bends down and she tells the trooper that he can uh, re re secure his restraints. But he, the trooper left his guard, like, sitting on a table, so Crosshair grabs a pistol, and it's, like, it's like almost conveniently within reach. It's like, was that intentional? I don't think it was. But then he shoots the two troopers and a probe droid. He points at the dock, and she tells him, she's like, take a breath. And she's like, think about this. She's like, you can't escape this facility in your condition. So he asks her for her access card. She's like, it won't help you. You know, you won't be able to get outside. And she's like, they'll send hounds after you. So he changes a gun to stun, and he just zaps her. So it's like, it's weird that he's showing some compassion when he doesn't care about anything. So he slowly moves out. Um, his aim seems off a little bit because, like, when he comes across some, like, other troopers, like, his first shot goes a little wide. So he finally manages to get to a control terminal. I think he put, like, a disc or something in, and he's like, plan 88. So an unauthorized transmission is detected by some, some troopers, and then Crosshair continues. He's like, you have to hide. They're after. And then the room is, like, sealed off, and, like, some gas starts getting pumped in, and then he gets knocked out. Hemlock comes in and talks about, like, oh, look at this. You know, do you like this gas that I created? He's like, I built an immunity to it, but unfortunately you have not. Meanwhile, on Pabu, the planet where the clones are, are, are hanging out from the last episode, progress is being made on repairs. Mayor tells Hunter that they become an integral part of the community. You know, has he thought about staying? And Hunter says for soldiers, putting down roots is an occupational hazard. And the mayor is like, is that all you are as a soldier? Before he can answer, Marauder zips by. And Mayor is like, more flying lessons? And he's like, uh-huh. He's like, Tex's got his hands full. So Omega's flying. She does like this big dive. Tech's like super nervous. And she's like, I'm getting better, right? She's like, the collision detector hasn't gone off once. And he's like, that's because you shorted out during your last session. But he thinks, um, but thanks to his excellent instruction, she is indeed improving. Then there's an incoming vessel on approach. So Omega gets excited. They land. Hunter greets Echo, and he's like, you weren't kidding. He's like, this place is remote. The Marauder lands. Uh, he tells Tech about the encrypted files and the clone prisoners. Then Hemlock, uh, meanwhile, is like talking to Tarkin about you know what's going on. Echo uh, asks Hunter if they decided to stay there indefinitely, and he says that they haven't decided, but it might be best for them. Echo tells Hunter about his work with Rex and the clones. Hunter says that he understands why he's doing all this. He's like, but when will it be enough? Then Tech calls and says that he's decrypted the data. It's like super fast because he's so good at, at, at his tech stuff. <laughs> he needs them to get back to the ship. So Tech tells him that the Imperial transport that Echo hijacked was assigned to the Advanced Science Division. Hunter's like, I've never heard of it. And Tech says that's because it's a clandestine operation. There are no records of its location or its purpose. All he could find out was the chief scientist in charge, Dr. Royce Hemlock, an officer expelled from the Republic Science Corps due to his unauthorized and unorthodox experiments. Omega's like, why were they sending clone prisoners to him? It's like, do you really need to ask that question? <laughs> Tech says that he's like, I don't know, but it gets worse. He's like, Previous transfer records recovered from the ship's logs list other clone prisoners detained, and Crosshair is one of them. Wrecker's like, you mean Crosshair turned on the Empire? Hunter says, that, he's like, how sure are you about this? He's like, very. After discovering his clone number on the transfer register, I checked out our old comm channel and found a recent distress message sent from Crosshair's old code. Omega's like, what did it say? 
He's like, Plan 88, the Seeker. We are being targeted. I believe he is warning us. Hunter says, or it's a trap, like he set for us before. Wrecker grunts, then how do we find out? So Crosshair is strapped to the table again, so he got caught. Hemlock and the lady doc enter. He says that in case his escape attempt didn't make it clear, the only chance he has of leaving this facility is if he allows it. So he's like, perhaps now you'd like to reconsider my offer. Crosshair is still like silent. And he's like, why suffer more? All I need is the young clone. She means nothing to you. Help me and you'll have your freedom. Crosshair is still silent. He like eyes Hemlock and he stares straight ahead again. So Hemlock sighs. He tells the lady doc to increase the dosage. He's like, let's see how long you last. So then his uh, probe droid approaches. The injection happens. And then he grunts in pain. And that's the end of the episode. So I don't know if it's gearing towards Crosshair coming around and you know rejoining the others. I mean, I guess that would be cool just to see if they can get along. But so um, it was fine. You know, it, it was a good episode. But yeah. Then with The Mandalorian season three, episode four, chapter twenty. I haven't been saying the chapters uh, the last few couple episodes, whatever. The Foundling. So one thing I realized after, I, th I think I saw like an interview, like a, a couple lines from, um, what's her name, Bo-Katan, because I thought it was weird at the end of the last episode. I was like, why is she staring at the, like the Mandalorian symbol, the, you know, the mythosaur? And as, as it, you know, she like really feeling a connection, you know, whatever, you know, with the whole Mandalorian philosophy, because, you know, she's, when she considered joining them, I was like, what, what's up with that? What I didn't realize is the big beast that she saw in the water when she rescued um, Mandalorian, that that may have been a mythosaur, which they're supposed to be like extinct, you know, whatever. So I think that's what it was. So whoops, because I was like, why is she just staring at that? It's like, uh, so it starts off, the, the bunch of Mandalorians are training outside the cave, like on the shores by, by that lake or whatever. Bo-Katan just like kind of walks around watching them. Grogu sitting on, on the shore, like moving some rocks with like the forest, whatever. And he finds like a crab in one and Mandalorian comes up to him. He's like, put the rocks down. He's like, it's time you learn with the other foundlings. And he's like, playtime's over. She's like, I need you to focus. So as they leave and a bunch of crabs, like in stones, you know, their shells, I guess, whatever, they kind of like scurry off. So Din puts Grogu down, and he's like, next challenger. And Grogu sees, uh, like, you know, two people kind of wrestling, whatever. Bo-Katan comes up and asks if he's like, does he think this is a good idea? And Din's like, if he is ever to rise from foundling to apprentice, he must learn. So to Mando, he calls the judge over, and he says, you know, Grogu challenges. The judge's like, he is too small. And Mando's like, he is my ward. Proceed. So then the judge asks, like, what weapon? And he's, the Mandalorian's like, let the, the challenge decide. So the boy's like, darts. And then the, the, the training darts are going to be brought over. And then the, the boy's like, why does he not wear a helmet? And Din's like, he is too young to speak to Creed and too young to wear a helmet. The boy's like, then he's too young to fight. And Grogu just kind of coos. And, and Din's like, one does not speak unless one knows. Is that not the Creed? And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. And he's like, perhaps this lesson is for you then. So they're given uh, training darts. Bo-Katan straps the thing around Grogu's wrist, and she tells him, she's like, don't worry. He's like, my dad was like this too. He's just proud of you. 
Then she uh, tells him, you know, go easy on the kid. And the judge is like, each has three darts. You may fire darts in any order. Each direct hit scores one point. A mark must be visible to score. Highest score wins. Grogu looks up at Din, and then he's like, he says, you know, squeeze his fist to launch the darts. He's like, you'll be fine. Then Bo-Katan says, Din, you know, he doesn't know how to fire darts. And, and he's like, he's got this, trust me. So the judge is like, ready, begin. The boy shoots Grogu and big paint splotches on him. Point. Grogu like coos. He's like, Mandalorian's like, don't look at me, look at him. Judge is like, ready, begin. Point. Now Grogu has two splotches on him. Mando's like, Grogu, I've seen what you can do. It's okay. Show them. Ready, begin. Grogu leaps and kind of like floats over to kid, landing behind him. Then he leads back in front. Shoots him like through three points. Winner. Bo-Katan asks Mando, he's like, did you teach him that? He's like, not me. So watching uh, Paz Vizsla says to Armor, one doesn't speak unless he knows. <laughs> the boy just like walks away and Mando tells him, he's like, you know, great job. Then this winged creature flies up, snatches the boy away, then raises pistol to shoot, but Paz like, no, no blasters. It will kill the child. He's like, we must follow it to its lair. So um, those two and a couple others start flying after the creature. It's just like long flight. They're like going. One of them, one of the Mandalorians jetpacks kind of sputters and he like kind of goes down. Then this other one, then Paz and Mando. Paz is like, I'm out of fuel. He's like, it always gets away. And then, um, then we see Din's starship flies after them. So Bo-Katan says that she kept a high altitude. She followed it to its lair. She knows how to get there. So they're going to put together a hunting party and go after it. Uh, it seems like it flew a long way, So and the nest is high up. Paz says that if they use jetpacks, the beast will hear. The armor says then it will kill the child. So Bo says that you know these these are no higher than the peaks of Crimo Ruts or something like that. She's to climb them in basic training. So she says that you know they'll fly to she'll fly to the foothills, scale the rest of the way on foot. Mando's like, I'll join you. The armorer says to Paz, um, and join the Shriek Hawk training team to accompany or something like that. They head out. Armor tells Grogu that he's too young to join. He kind of like whines, whatever. She's like, all in good time. And tells him, come with me. You know, if you intend on becoming a Mandalorian, there is much to attend to. He like scurries after her. She starts making like something in the forge and she's talking about how it's the, the forge is the heart of the Mandalorian culture. Just as they shape the Mandalorian steel, they shape themselves. And she's like, we all begin as raw ore. We refine ourselves through trials and adversity. The forge can reveal weaknesses. And Grogu is like watching intently like while she's making. Then um, he seems like a little like shocked or something like that because a big metal column like slams down like over the disc thing. Just kind of like flatten it and put it into whatever. Shape it. And then he just like stands back and he thinks. So we get a flashback to Order 66. He's at the temple. He's in like a pod. And then, you know, they're like escaping. He gets like pushed in this elevator. This other Jedi gets like shot and like falls in the elevator with him. This clone trooper like, um, you know, uh, shot him or whatever. This other Jedi like greets him when uh, the elevator gets to the bottom. He picks up the fallen lightsaber, tells Grogu everything's going to be all right. And then he starts fighting the troopers, so he's holding like two lightsabers now. They're coming, he's deflecting their bolts back at them, whatever. They get on this like speeder bike, and soon they're being pursued. 
the, their engine got hit, so it's kind of flying a little wonky. The Jedi manages to lose pursuers, but he says that you know they're going to meet up with some friends of his. You know, it's going to be a bumpy landing. So this is a Jedi. His name is Kelleran Beck, B-E-Q. Some guards, uh, you know, they it was like, what about the others? He's like, there are no others. Then the clone transport ship lands. The guard tells uh, Kelleran to you know take the ship. It's fueled and it's it's ready to go. Ship lifts off. More pursuers are shooting at it. They reach orbit. Go out in hyperspace. Some of the guards like got shot and everything like that. But that's how I guess Grogu escaped. So in the present, Grogu's watching. The armor continues. It is a tradition in our culture for each to donate a small portion of what they earn to the foundlings. It is with these scraps of Beskar that I forge your next piece of armor. Mandalorian steel shall keep you safe as you grow stronger. You will grow into this rondel as you grow into your station, foundling Grogu. So it's like this disc and it has like a symbol of whatever thing on there. And she sticks it like inside his tunic. Grogu coos. Bo-Katan's ship lands. So they're going to continue on foot. There's, there's, I think there's seven of them. They're going to have to make a camp there and then climb at first light. But it's like, how do they know the kid hasn't been eaten already? <laughs> so around the fire, Bo-Katan's asked like, how do you, you, how do we eat? And he's like, you don't. He's like, when you get your food, you go off and find a place where you can take off your helmet. Then they all start getting up, then scatter. So Bo is told, you are the leader of the war party. You get the honor of staying by the fire. This is the way. So she sits and she kind of like looks around, whatever. Then she takes off her helmet, starts eating. So I'm, I'm surprised at like how much she's like sticking to this. Because I would think that she was just like totally rolling her eyes all the time. And she'd be like, yeah, whatever. But she's, she's sticking to it. At the morning, uh, Bo mentions that the raptor is at the highest peak, so they have to hope the child's still alive so they can you know, fire upon it. Paz Vizsla says that it will kill the foundling if it's attacked. You know, it happened before when it's taken others. So Bo says that their best bet is stealth. So they start shooting cables up, climbing up this, the side of the peak. It's pretty much like just straight, like a you know, vertical climb. There's lots of, which is, this is what I like is they, they you're like, ugh, ugh. there's lots of grunting and panting. So, you know, these Mandalorians are supposed to be complete badass and everything like that, but they don't make them like these unstoppable machines, you know, so they're, they're working at it. They have to work at it. And, and I, I can appreciate that. So they reach like the top. There's like big, big old nest there. And you can see like a helmet there. I don't know who's, I don't think if that was a kid's, it must be like someone else's helmet. And Bo's like, it's not here. So let's find a kid. Mando looks with his, you know, one of his visor things. He detects a heat source like off the distance. Paz is kind of eager. And Bo's like, wait until we clear the area. He's like, he's my son. So we didn't know about that before. He starts calling out Ragnar, Ragnar. And it, it turns out that there's three baby raptors in that nest. And they start like snapping at him, and then to make things worse, the mom is back. Then it's it starts like <coughs> like gagging or whatever, and then the youngling pops out of its mouth. So it's like she's gonna feed it to the babies, even though he's still alive. Whatever the the kid is alive. And he's like, help me, Paz. Like he's alive. Then he flies at the mom. He gets he gets chomped. Like you know, he's alive, but it's like he's in the, the mom's mouth. And then she, with her talon, she, she puts it down on Ragnar, and then she takes off with him instead of staying and protecting her babies, I guess. Paz is still in the mouth, and he's, like, you know, shooting his flamethrower or whatever. Bo tells uh, Ragnar to take her hand, but then she gets hit by one of the, the big wings, and you see, like, something falls off her armor, and her, her jetpack sputters a little bit. She's falling towards the ground, but she manages to get it back on and, and get back up. 
then she gets a cable into the mom, like pulls herself closer. She's like hitting it. At first I thought it's like she's hitting in the eye, but it's like close to the eye. It releases Paz. His jetpack must jetpack must be a little damaged, but you know he manages to land like on a peak, like not too hard. Other uh, Mandos start you know, shooting cables at the mom and everything like that. And then Din flies at it. He gets her to drop Ragnar. And then he flies down, whoosh, grabs him as, as the mom like smashes into the water below. Then the mom starts screeching at the water surface. And then <laughs> the mom gets chomped by this big water lizard creature thing. So I guess the babies are going to die because they don't have a mom now. Who's going to take care of them? Mando brings Ragnar to Paz. He's like, are you okay? He's like, I'm okay, Dad. And Paz says to Din, he's like, he, you know, he, he thanks him. He's like, thank you. And he, he, Din's just like, this is the way. This is the way. So they fly back. Armor tells Grogu uh, you know, to come as you know, they go to greet them. They all cheer to success. Din picks up Grogu. Armor's like, Bo-Katan Kree's. You have honored your house and all of Mandalore. You have done the highest honor of the creed, saving a foundling. Bo's like, this is the way. And Armor's like, this is the way. And Bo says, uh, and we have brought you three more foundlings in need of care and training. Is that so? <laughs> so then some, some Mandos are like luring the babies off the ship with like a big chunk of meat. And they have like, you know, a cable around their neck. Armor then notices that Bo's in, in need of repair, her, her armor, because she lost the shoulder thing. And uh, she tells Bo to come with her. Inside, she says that she can replace what's missing, but not with its modern refinements. And she's like, shall I inlay the signet of the night owl? Bo's like staring at the mythosaur symbol on the wall again. And she's like, would it be acceptable to wear one cauldron of the night owl and another with the mythosaur? Armor is like, the mythosaur belongs to all Mandalorian. It is always acceptable to wear. And Bo-Katan's like, I would like that. So Armor like pounds the metal, like finishes whatever. And then Bo-Katan's like, what would you say if I told you I saw one? Armor's like, you saw what? And Bo Bo's like, a mythosaur. And Armor's like, I would say you're very lucky. It's a noble vision. And Bo's like, no, I... I mean a real one beneath the living waters on Mandalore. And Armor's like, when you choose to walk the way of the Mandalore, you will see many things. And Bo's like, but it was real. And Armor's like, this is the way. And then she just continues staring at the symbol. And that's where it ends. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's almost like... Is this like, you know, seeing God, you know, you're like, like, holy crap. And then you're, you know, you're just completely turned around and, and become a believer or whatever. So uh, it's it's interesting because, you know, she was just like, so like, I can't believe you're still following those old ways, but she's, she's into it. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I thought it was a, it was a, a little cheesy, a tiny bit cheesy, but uh, I thought it was, it was a good episode. And I, and the whole thing, I'm just trying to think of Grogu, like wearing like a, you know, a Mandalorian helmet and just like flying around with a jetpack. And I don't know when that's ever going to happen, but I hope we get to see it. All right. Then we have Star Trek Picard. The next generation is what it should be called. The bount uh, season three, episode six, the bounty. So it, uh, it, the first scene, I was a little confused because there's like three different enterprise ships or whatever come out of warp. And there's like a beacon, but I think it might've been the Titan, the same ship. I don't know. 
So Vatic, we see her. <laughs> I, I cannot stand Vatic. Uh, she's like stressing out. She's like, where are they? And she's she's told that they're shedding decoy transponders and uh, jumping at warp at infrequent intervals. So I don't know. If, I don't. Maybe that's what what they're doing. And this this officer, whatever alien thing, tells her that they're like one step ahead of her. And she says something about, oh, how exhausted they must be. And, you know, that, that she is and all of their brothers and sisters, you know, having to wear the faces of the Federation, whatever. So I'm assuming she's a changeling. I mean, we saw her hand warp. And when she talked to her boss or whatever, she's like, but there will be rest. There will be a day of lifeless bodies burning in space. There will be silence again, unity again, peace again. But first, we will have vengeance. Uh, it's like... I don't know. It's so extreme. Then the other one's like, but Frontier Day is only 72 hours away and we're no closer to finding Picard's son than we were before. Perhaps it's time for a new, and then she shoots him and disintegrates him. Then she's like, I want the names and locations of every known associates of Jean-Luc Picard. So anyone that he would have confided in or go to or whatever. Beverly tells Picard that Jack's been having visions and like waking nightmares, whatever. And like, there's been aggression involved and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, once he told her that you know, he, once he confided with her, she did like a micro neural scan and the, the results said terminal diagnosis. So the portion of the brain dealing with cognition, imagination, all whatever it's all affected. So Picard's like, he has eromotic syndrome, which is what he had. So he's like, he inherited that from me. And, you know, she says that Jack had nightmares when he was a boy. You know, there were vivid dreams. She thought that he was gifted, not plagued by an overclocked brain. You know, he's okay now. I think she's given him some medication. And, you know, it might be decades before it catches up with him. And, you know, it, but she tells Picard, she's like, you know, don't burden yourself, you know, with this. Try to unburden Jack. So it's like basically, you know, don't blame yourself for this. Just, you know, try to talk to him, whatever. Jack, meanwhile, is drinking in the holo bar. Picard comes up. Uh, just Jack orders a second drink. He's like, oh, and one for my old man. And, you know, he's like, I'm celebrating. And Picard's like, what? And he's, he's like, yeah. It's like, it turns out I'm not crazy. I'm just broken. So he goes on and, uh, and Picard thinks that he's like, you should take this seriously. He's like, oh, I am deadly serious. Or soon it will be deadly at least or something like that. Then he asks him, he's like, how did you survive it? And Picard's like, I didn't. Oh, he's like, right, the, the positronics, you know, synthetic body. And Picard said that he lived with it for decades. You know, fate has a way of surprising us, and Jack is young. And, and then uh, Jack's like, if only you were as good at passing on genetics as you were wisdom. Because he says, you know, his mother spent so long trying to protect him from the legacy of Jean-Luc Picard and, you know, all the dangers and stuff to go with it. The irony is that perhaps he was doomed before he was even born. And he just, like, gets up and leaves. Then Pic uh, Seven calls Picard. She's like, they're here. So he just like downs his drink and he goes at the transport Worf and Rafi beam on and Worf's like permission to come on board captain and Picard's like oh it's been too long and Worf responds he's like 11 years five months and four days and then um, Beverly like hugs him and I think Riker's like you know he's not a hugger she's like I don't care or whatever Rafi tells Picard she's like you're not going to believe it but this Klingon he meditates and Warfus talks about like how the most advantageous battle stance is being one with oneself or something like that. And Riker's like, whoa, because, you know, Riker is always like poking fun at, you know, giving Warf a hard time, whatever. And Rafi talks to Seven. She's like, are you all right? And she's like, well, we're alive. Warf says that, you know, they have to make sure that Roe Lauren's death wasn't in vain. So Warf briefs him on what's been going on with the changelings and everything. 
Shaw's joined him, you know, to, to hear all this. Rafi thinks that, you know, whatever they're planning is linked to Frontier Day, and Worf says that they have to return to the scene of the crime at Daystrom Station. They mentioned, uh, like, the teleporting device thing, that it they think it was a diversion to take something else. Seven says that the only way they can find out is by looking at the Daystrom Manifest data, but it's heavily redacted. Rafi says that it must be like on a computer in a vault or something like that. And Picard's like, so we must burglar the people who are after us. And he says that, you know, that's the only way they can clear their names and, and save Starfleet. So Worf, Rafi, and Riker are going to beam in. And hopefully, you know, they have this one key. And you know, hopefully that's going to work. It's not going to set off all the alarms, you know, because they have, they have to enter this key and like within a certain amount of time. So they beam in, computer welcomes him, asks him to identify. So Rafi tells Worf to use a key before it stops asking nicely because it's going to start getting aggressive. Then the alarm starts going off. He's And Worf is like super calm, puts it in, because you have to slide this thing in and closes whatever. It, it works. So they're, they're good. Seven then is like, they found us. It's like, we, we can't beam the others back because they can't get a lock on them. So uh, Ensign LaForge says that the ships have like some ion tracking things or something like that so it if they shoot them with this with something it'll allow them to follow them even if they warped out because it'll like leave some vapor radiation trails or something like that so they won't be able to come back and get the others until they can stop them from following them so picard calls will he says they have company and they can't get to him but he has an idea so he tells laforge to set a course for athen prime and she's like uh, i don't think that's a good idea and Worf says that you know, Starfleet will patrol their area in less than an hour. Picard's like, we'll be back before then, you know, hopefully. So the weapons get locked on them. They take off. Maximum warp. So Will tells Worf and Rafi that they're on their own. Rafi asks, you know, what exactly are they storing here? And Worf says that it seems Sections 31's most nefarious artifacts. And, you know, they show a couple things. And I don't know if they're supposed to be Easter eggs. Because then one thing, I, I had to, like, re rewind it, you know, a, you know, a couple times. I think they might have had James T. Kirk's body. And there's one thing, uh, like, there's one thing I missed or what it was. Then Worf's, like, looking at his glass. And then this trouble, like, jumps at the glass and, like, kind of scares him. So Worf or Riker, like, pokes fun at him. And then, you know, Rafi's like, we should just find, you know, find the manifest and get out of here, you know, alive. Then this computer, there's like a camera, it scans their faces, and it's on the screen, it's like generating security response. So then when it records Riker's face or something, you know, it just like zooms in on it, records it. But then a crow comes flying at, at them. It's like, is that a holographic crow? It's like, what the heck does that mean? Computer thing, camera says, activating security measures. So Riker says that there's something familiar about about that crow. Then they find like the mainframe room. Uh, they're they're getting you know about to enter there. But then there's like blasts of music, like this note, and Riker is like you know C sharp or something like that. Then there's this other one, a male voice. Then says like I think, therefore I am. So you see this old dude in a hat, and Riker's like Professor Moriarty. And he's like greetings, old friends, and he draws a pistol. On a Titan, Seven says that she's like, I've been here before. And Picard's like, it's a flight or it's a fleet museum. Every legendary starship, this is their final resting place. So they're going to hide there amongst their, like the relics. Then Jordy calls. He sternly tells Picard to power down non-all essential bits or whatever. And Picard quietly tells him, he's like, we need your help. So Jordy and someone else beam on. He says that, like, in the nanosecond between deconstructing and whatever, getting put back together, beaming on, he had to decide how to greet them. 
so he go you know he he goes with a long overdue hug to Beverly and then when he sees Sydney he's like Sydney <laughs> you know that's like his greeting to her it's his daughter <laughs> Picard you know, tries introducing Jack but Jordy's like I, we don't have time he's like I'm in the middle of my, my third memo to Starfleet objecting to gathering an entire fleet for Frontier Day he also says that you know soon someone will be will like swing by and notice the one ship that doesn't belong so the other we the other person with him is Alondra, because that's Sydney's sister. Because she's like, "Hey, sis," or something like that. So Jack comments about you know to her. She's like, "Oh, that was warm and cuddly." And uh, Sydney's like, "She and her father haven't been seeing eye to eye lately." And he's like, "Oh, I can relate to that or whatever." So Jordy finds out that Jack is Picard's son, and he's like, "Leave it to you to turn fatherhood into an intergalactic incident." Picard says that, you know, they're not just running from Starfleet, but also the Changelings. He mentions Worf and Riker are trapped at Daystrom Station waiting for them. And Picard, he's like, can you just clone our ship's transponder so we can make Starfleet think that we went in a different, you know, direction? Jordy says that he can't just clone transponders without randomized Starfleet security codes. Alondra says, he's like, and there's also, and he has Alondra mention this part. She says that every ship now is, is like fully integrated and that means that they talk to each other, you know, so they can drop all the transponders they like, but the Titan is a beacon, so it's only a matter of time before the Titan alerts the other ships where, like, where it's at. So Rafi asks, she's like, does anyone know why a 19th century holo villain is guarding a 25th century black site? And he's like, oh, I'm much more than just a villain or something like that. And he, he starts shooting at them, and it's like live rounds because they, like, shoot him, and it just, just like, kind of goes through him, doesn't do anything to him. So they run, the, and music keeps blaring, like, different notes, and Riker's, like, noting the notes. And he's, there's something about it. He says that this isn't the same Holo Moriarty that he encountered before. He's, you know, and it's like the music, he's like, it sounds like a song. He's like, I can't get it out of my head. And, and it turns out Riker knows it, because he has this, like, memory flashback when he's a lot younger, and it, it's Pop Goes a Weasel. So then he finishes, you know, he's, like, whistling along or whatever, and then Moriarty's like, Marvelous. And then he disappears, and this door opens. Worf's like, how did you know that would work? And Riker says that he shared that same tune with another who had a fondness of crows and couldn't whistle worth a damn. And it's Data. And his body is in the vault room. And it's like tube. Jordy says that, you know, he wants to help. But, you know, best case scenario, he gets court-martialed. Worst case, a compromised Starfleet will come after his family. He's like, and you know they will. Alondra's like, Dad, what about Hangar Bay 13? And he's like, he like kind of shuts her up or whatever. Picard says that, you know, this is life or death. Jordy says that Picard knowingly placed his daughter in danger. And Picard's like, Sydney knew what she was doing when she joined Starfleet. Jack, in the, in the other room, he goes to sit in the captain's chair. And Seven's like, uh uh uh. And he's like, oh, I'm just trying it on. Then he like sees a ship on his screen. He like names it. Whatever. So then Seven kind of like starts clicking, you know, zooming in on different ones. And including like Kirk's Enterprise, which Jack really appreciates or, you know, respects that, the simplicity, the sleekness or something like that. So she's like, you know, a fair bit about starships for someone who doesn't give a damn about Starfleet. And he's like, well, I always dug starships, you know, well before I knew who my dad was. He's, but I guess basically he's into the ships, not necessarily Starfleet. Then Seven puts a, another one up there. He's like, what's that one? She's like, the USS Voyager. And because he said he didn't know it, she says it made it further on its name than any other those other relics out there or something like that. She's like, I was reborn there and it was my home. It's like the crew was my family. And then he's like, and, and she's like, and now 
And Jack's like, now you're just trying to find another. He's like, we all long for a connection. We're all a little bit alone. You know, stars in the same galaxy, but light years between us. She's like, you are definitely your father's son. She talks about like waxing poetic and stuff like that, which is, you know, fascinating and annoying at the same time. So then, uh, then he sees a Klingon bird of prey. He's like, is that a, and she's like, yeah, that's a HMS bounty. It was pulled from the bottom of San Francisco Bay. And Jack's like, right, the whole whale thing. And she's like, yeah, the story goes that they had a hard time finding it because it, it disappeared. And Jack thinks he's like, because the cloaking device was reactivated. So Riker says that Data wasn't trying to hurt them. It was trying to communicate. Rafi says that she's like, I thought Data died twice. And Riker's like, well, he did. And Worf's like, this cannot be our Data. Rafi says that he appears to be some sort of hybrid. He's like synthetic with an Android interface. Riker says that this could be, you know, it could be him because Data copied everything of himself onto uh, B4, like his mind, personality, memory, whatever. But then since the ban on synths has been lifted, nothing's impossible. Starfleet um, took a keen interest in him. And then this message from Altland soon, his like final log plays. So this is apparently like before he died, his project, you know, he, he died before his project was complete. So all stuff with like whatever he's trying to do, merging the life forms and then Jordy says to Sydney he was a hard one, that she was stubborn and she probably got it from him. And you know, he thinks back to all the dangers that they rushed into an enterprise. He's like, I never feared for my life, not like how I fear for hers. So you know, Jordy's like, I want to help you, but I can't help you without, you know, I can't help you and protect my daughters at the same time. Picard goes on a bridge, says that they're leaving, and you know, he has to respect Jordy's wishes, but uh, he said he wanted to talk to Sydney. So she goes in and she's like, Why won't you help us? And he's like, Sit down. And he says that John Luke agreed to leave her here at the museum and say that she was an unwilling participant. She's like, But that's not true. And she's like, The galaxy is at stake here. She's like, I saw a corpse that looked just like me. I was like, I know what the changelings are capable of. It's like, you know, he's like, we need to leave that to Starfleet. And she says that she is Starfleet. She grew up listening to his adventures and how they stood up for what's right. So she's, you know, she's not like him in Alondra. You know, she's not an engineer. She doesn't build things. She wants to fly them. So she says that he'd believe in this if he believed in her. So she gets up to like leave and Jordy's like, do you have any idea what we felt when your ship went missing and now you're on a run with them? She says, she's like, I'm with my crew. And he's like, yeah, but they're not your family. She's like, they are. So he taught her that. And she's not scared to step up and help them. You know, he's the one that's scared. So then Alondra asks Sydney if she's staying or going. And she's like, oh, I'm staying on, you know, on, on Titan. Jack mentions how you know, she's helped him out quite a bit and you know, her flying skill. Alondra's like, you need to calm your phasers down. <laughs> then he says that he just has two questions for Alondra. How well does she know the museum? And how does she feel about minor larceny? And Sydney just kind of smiles. Rafi says, so Starfleet installed uh, an insane AI to guard its darkest secrets. Riker says that they used him because he's one of a kind work of art, certainly more brilliant than anything else that they could have come with, come up with. He glitched, but he saw them, so he recognized them, which means Rafi says that you know he sees everything that comes in and out. Worf says that you know he's not protecting the manifest, he is the manifest. So he should be able to tell them exactly what the changelings took. Then the alarms go off. They need to get out of there because you know, they've been detected. So reinforcement's coming. Uh, 
Shaw talks to Jordy, and he's kind of awkward, you know, because he's like, as a former engineer, you know, it's an honor to have you on board. And, but then, you know, Jordy comments on the, the poor battery conditions of his ship, and Shaw says it's been a weird week. So Jordy says that, you know, under normal circumstances, he, he might have, you know, loved to geek out over the modern marvels of the ship and everything. And then Shaw calls engineering to make sure that the LaForges get back safely. Then there's like this weird shudder on the ship or something like that. Seven says that they're detecting a massive burst of EM radiation. Jordy's like, Picard? He's like, what have you done? He's like, I assure you, I haven't done anything. The sh ship like shimmers, and you know, we see it from outside, and it disappears. Seven's like, Admiral, the ship is now cloaked. Jordy's like, you stole a cloaking device from my gosh darn bird of prey? And Picard's like, I would never deceive you. He's like, I would never steal from And then he's like, Jack. And Jordy's like, Sydney. So Jordy says stealing a cloaking device tripped the alarm that alerted Starfleet. So they're on their way. He asks Picard if he knows how many treaties this violates. And Picard's like, well, I guess I'll just have to add it to my tab. And he's like, we need you. He's like, she needs you. So they're having some trouble installing the cloaking device. Sydney says that it's like overheating. She doesn't know how to stop the chain reaction. Jordy comes in. He's like, but I do. And then he looks at Jack. He's like, can you stay away from my daughter? And she's like, dad. He tells Alondra to get on the comm to tell mom that they're not coming home for dinner. Picard calls Riker and says they're coming in cloaked. They'll have 90 seconds. Riker tells Worf and Rafi that they're taking data with them. And Rafi says that it's going to trip, like, all the security alarms. And Worf's like, he's right. He's like, we can't leave him. He's like, he has information we need. And he, what, you know, he has what they want. So they arrive. Shaw says that they have no idea that they're there. Seven's like, but they will because we have to decloak in order to beam them up. So guards are outside the, the mainframe. Uh, Riker says that he's like, I got this. He's going to go buy them sometime. But they're like, like, no, Will, you can't do that. But he goes. So he goes out to start shooting. They decloak. Uh, Starfleet, you know, the ship like turns, starts turning towards them to shoot at them. This time to, they got to beam them up. Riker gets shot. He gets hit. And uh, Seven's like, they, they lost, you know, one transport signal. Shaw's like, bring over whoever we have locked now. So they beam up Jordy, Worf, and data in the like the big pod thing so when they beam up Jordy sees Worf and they're like where's Riker and Rafi says that he was captured they use transport inhibitors so he basically saved him he sacrificed himself Worf's like you know we have, may, may have lost one friend in battle but we have gained another and Jordy's like you know surprised to see it's data Worf tells Picard that he's like I will find him I will bring him home and and woes you know whatever anyone who stands in my way you know to better watch out type of thing Jack comes in to talk to Picard, says that he's sorry about Riker. He says that, you know, he can be a lot of things, mostly to prick at the bar who says a lot, a lot of things that he can't take back. He's like, maybe, maybe just a, a bit cocky. And Picard's like, a bit? He's like, however, I think I have some virtue, uh, some virtues as well. You know, it's like I can be caring, tenacious, and occasionally clever. He's like, all those things I get from my mother. He's like, I can also be brave, loyal, and far wiser than I have any right to be. He's like, until a week ago, I didn't know where those traits came from. Maybe you didn't just give me some BS disease. Maybe you gave me some good bits as well. And Picard's like, maybe. So Jordy, Jordy says to Sydney that he's not mad at her for what she did. He's mostly mad at himself for not doing what his younger self would have done. He's like, I'm proud of you, Sydney. I'm very proud. So Picard comes in and sees Data 
And then he says, he's like, this is hard. It's like, I've watched Data die twice. Jordy says that Data Android, that's what he saw. It's like, this is Data something else. Beverly says that, you know, it's he's in an almost human positron body. Jordy says that she, he or Jordy says that he can't keep the personality separate, you know, all the different identities, whatever like that. So he can reboot him. He just doesn't know what they're going to get. So he unhooks him from the back of the head and his data's eyes open. Then he looks around. He's like, Jordy? And then he's like, Captain? And he's like, yes, data, is that you? He's like, yes, sir. Uh, no, sir. I am not certain. Barely says that he's like Jean-Luc, you know, synthetic. Picard mentions uh, evening at a robbery, something more deadly was taken. He's like, can he confirm? Can he tell him what was taken? Data's kind of glitchy, and he's like, Jean-Luc Picard. And he's like, yes, Data, I'm here. He's like, Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. Then he kind of chuckles. He's like, I'm Lore. No, I'm before. No, I'm soon. No, I am more. Picard asks again. He's like, it's vital. And then his eyes shine in this like holo map thing, whatever, you know, out of his eyes. And he says, it turns out that they store human remains and they you see Jean-Luc Picard's remains. Riker is getting punched in the face by a changeling. He says that, you know, he's like, you will tell us where Picard and the, where is the boy and the boy are. And he's like, like hell I will. So changeling raises a phaser at him, then turns and shoots the two behind it. And then it changes into Vatic. So I'm like, what? So she stupidly laughs. She's like, hi. So he's taken on their ship. And, you know, he's, Will's like, do you really think after 35 years of loyalty, I'm going to betray my friends f to help you? And she's like, hmm, no, not for me. And then he looks, they have Deanna. And she's like, oh, Will. But the question is, is that really her? Or is it a changeling posing as her? Because it's kind of like Marvel's secret invasion, like what the heck's going on. But that was uh, Star Trek. So it's like next generation, which I'm not complaining. I mean, I, I, I think that's fine. That's cool. All right, then with uh, School Spirits. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm digging the show, and I'm going to say it again. Maybe it's a, hopefully it's, it's not too annoying. But I, I really think this show works as a weekly show because each, it, it – each episode kind of builds up towards like some like shocking and it's not like a like an overly forced cheesy like cliffhanger thing but it's like something starts building up and then you get that that little bombshell dropped at the end it's like holy crap and i think that makes it great because then you have to wait a week if, if you just have to like oh, oh wait like you know 10 seconds and click to the next episode it kind of takes away that impact because it's just like oh okay nothing really happened it was just this or that or whatever so I, I really think that it works like this. So uh, two episodes this, this week. Um, season one, episode three, Dead and Confused. Instead of Days and Confused. So it p picking up from last episode where what's going on with Mr. Anderson. And, you know, it's, it's raining. So Maddie goes outside. Simon and Mr. Anderson walking. And Simon's like, am I in trouble? Because he, he found that piece of Maddie's phone and he gave it to Mr. Anderson because he's like, what are you, what are you doing there? You know, in, in that one room. So, and Mr. Anderson's like, that's what I'm trying to avoid. And Simon's like, where are you taking me? And Simon's like, to your car. And he like points. So Anderson's like, let's not mention this to anyone tomorrow. And Simon's like, then he's about to get in the car. He's like, Mr. Anderson's like, what are you doing here so late? And then he's just like, drive safe. And Maddie like watches all this. 
So, but then you, there's a kind of like this flash, like a car swerving, like hitting a tree. And then you see like Mr. Anderson. So it's like, is this a memory flashback? Is this how Maddie died? It's like, what the heck is all this about? So is Mr. Anderson, did he have something to do with it? And whose car was it? Like, but then she was killed at the school. So it can't be. So then uh, Sandra, uh, Maddie's mom, she's pounding on Xavier's you know, dad's door. She's mad because it's like they're, they're pulling uh, officers away from the case because all she's got is this, this one deputy. And she's like, you're calling off the search party. And I, I think the, his dad's name is Baxter. He's like, no, we're not call, calling it off. We're just cutting back. He's like, you know, we've had a string of break-ins lately and you know, we're a little short-staffed lately. And she's like, does this have anything to do with the upcoming election? Because he's running for sheriff. There's like a sign out in his front yard. And she's like, you can't save my daughter, so you're going to save your job instead. And he's like, we're doing everything in our power. You know, as soon as, as we know anything, we'll, we'll let you know. And Xavier, you know, he's in, and he sees her go, he watches her go out the window, whatever. He has his backpack on and his dad's like, where the hell do you think you're going? And he's like, well, since you haven't found anything and you have nothing on me, he's like, I'm going back to school. So Maddie talks to Simon the next day, and he's he's not really thinking so much about Xavier as being you know being the one behind it all before as much as he was before. So now he's wondering, you know, what was Anderson doing there so late? And she's like, well, maybe he was just working, you know, maybe he's just working late. And Simon's like, you know, she's like, I thought you were all you know sure it was Xavier. He's like, well, I'm not saying Xavier isn't involved somehow, you know, but that was pretty sketchy of, of Anderson just showing up. She's like, yeah, but it's Mr. Anderson. She's like, this is a guy who doesn't care if we, if we swear as long as it's in the name of literature. <laughs> and this thing is like, um, I I swear a lot. You you don't know that from this podcast. I I swear a bit. I would never really swear in, in front of kids. I don't swear in a podcast. I don't think it's 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 appropriate. And you know, as a teacher, I don't think it's a it's appropriate to swear in front of kids and i'm not going to do it like like this is basically like it's like oh he lets us swear he's cool it's like it's like no there's a time and a place and i i just think it it doesn't make you look too you know in too good of a light if you're just like swearing left or right there's a time and place so anyways she's like he's one of the good ones and he's not just a teacher to me he's like you know we're close he even gave me his number once and simon just like looks at her he's like what she's like not like that She's like, he, I'm just saying, he was my friend. And Simon's like, you mean was? And and then he's like, can you uh, do your ghost stalking and, and watch him today? And she's like, who, Xavier or Mr. Anderson? He's like, Mr. Anderson. He's like, well, you know, fine. He's like, watch both if you want. So they're sitting at like this bus stop in front of school. And she's like, well, at least we have great reception here. Because she's like, sometimes I just have to wait for you to see me. And he gets all paranoid again about like her maybe watching him in the bathroom. And, you know, she doesn't say anything about, about about that. And she's like, I left before I saw anything, but you should really wash your hands more. He's like, ah, I'm, I'm leaving. So the, he starts walking towards the school, and he turns around, and he can't see her anymore, even though she's still there. So it's kind of weird, this, this whole thing. He doesn't see her all the time, and they kind of dive into this a, a little more in this episode, where it's like there's certain spots where she's able to, or he, he's able to see her. So there's this flashback of Maddie, like, sleeping in class, and Mr. Anderson, she's in a different outfit, so this is another day. He, like, wakes her up, and he's like, oh, I got some freshmen coming in if you wanted to sit through, you know, uh, Animal Farm again. She's like, no, whatever. And he's like, is everything okay? And she's like, oh, it's just a rough night. That's all. 
And he's like, if you, if you need another extension on your paper, she's like, no, she's like, I got it. She pulls it out of her backpack and he's like intrigued on a t- by the title. He's like, I don't know how you keep pulling it off with, with everything going on. And then he's like, you know, if you ever need someone to talk to, you can come to me. And she's like, about, and he's like, anything. He's like, I, I just know how hard it was, you know, for me to keep my life, you know, and separate. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about and you don't know anything about me. So then he pulls out like a sobriety chip and she's like, okay, you're a recovering alcoholic. He's like, no, not me. It's like, that's my father's chip. And she's like, so why do you have it? He's like, as a reminder, I guess, you know, even though I'm not the one with the problem, it's okay for me to take things one day at a time too. And then he gives, you know, writes down his number. He's like, if you ever need someone to talk to, it's like day or night. And then, you know, she sets on the chip. She's like, she takes the number. She's like, okay, I got to get to class. Then in the present, Xavier is in the hall and like, and people are, are stupidly talking. He's here. Devil boy is back. Which is like, just so, such idiots. I guess kids, kids do. Maddie sees him, you know, whatever. Then he like walks past Simon and Nicole and Simon asks Nicole if, if she, he, she thinks it's weird that Mr. Anderson gave Maddie his number, you know, he like explained all that, whatever. And she's like, well, maybe he gives his number out to a lot of students. And she's like, I don't know. And she's like, then you know, he's like, well, I, don't, I think there's something sketchy with him. She's like, do you have any proof? He's like, oh, something just seems you know, off about it. And then she says that you know, they're all going around like zombies. And she's like, have you seen Anderson's car? It's like he's sleeping in there or something. So Simon wants to get a look at it. In the, the dead group thing, uh, Mr. Martin asks Maddie, he's like, how's the obituary coming? And he's like, anything you'd like to share with the group? And she says that uh, it, it's it's a work in progress. And she says that she feels like she didn't get much sleep last night. And he's like, oh, it sounds like you spent one day too much in this school. And she's like, what, is there another option? So Martin's like, gang. He's like, I know it's not for another month, but time is relative here. So he's like, maybe you know, we should do a field day. Well, he's like, yes. And Rhonda, she's like, kill me. And Maddie's like, you know, she's like, I don't really do sports. Nicole, you know, is like talking on and on Mr. Anderson at the water fountain. You know, he's filling up his like his, his thing. And Simon is, she's supposed to be distracting him. Simon's like in his room, sneaking around, snooping. He finds his car keys like in his jacket or something like that. And it's weird because like Anderson doesn't really want to help Nicole because she, you know, she's coming with different uh, stall tactics. Like she sees Frankenstein book sticking in his, his like his bag, and she's like, "Oh, Frankenstein, about this." And he's like, "Yeah, or whatever, like that." And she's like, "Oh, and I'm a writer." She's like, uh, "I don't know if you have any advice and stuff like that." And he's like, "Oh, you're, I could give you some sources or something like that." So it's like, how come he's so willing to help? Uh, I almost said Peyton. He's so willing to help Maddie, but here he doesn't want to help Nicole. So is like, is there some personal favoritism or something like that? It's like, you know, as a as a teacher, you really, you know, if someone shows interest, then that it's 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 like it's amazing when a student actually shows interest in learning, and you you want to do whatever you can to help them. You know, you're gonna help help everyone, but it's like, who's gonna turn down? It's like, oh, you want to learn more? Yeah, that that's nice. It's like, you don't don't do that. So Simon goes out to the parking lot, goes in his car, looks around. It's a mess. There's like papers. He, he's like reaching back. He's like, please don't be a finger, please. And there's like food. He's like, Grr. and then he looks, open up the glove box, green piece of plastic in there. And Maddie's just like outside, like staring, you know, like kind of like trying to look in. At the cafeteria, she looks at Anderson there. 
And then there's a flashback. Maddie's sitting on a curb. Anderson pulls up. So Maddie got in a car accident. And she's like, you said day or night, right? And he's like, yeah. She's like, well, my mom was hungry. So, uh, you know, I went to get some food. I took a shortcut, got turned around. I went to use my phone. And he's like, it's going to be okay. He's like, "We'll, we'll figure this out. He's like, I'm here. And the present, Simon's acting like he's on the phone. You know, he's got like the the headphone um, talkie things, you know, where you can talk in a headphone, whatever it's called, with the mouthpiece thing. <laughs> so, you know, because he's acting like he's on a phone call whenever he's talking to Maddie, so people don't think he's crazy. And he's like, he's full of poop. And he's like, guess where I found a, the piece of your phone that we gave Mr. Anderson? It was in his freaking glove box. And she's like, yeah, I, I saw you break into his car. He's like, oh, I didn't break in there, whatever. And he's like, whatever. She's like, why would you do that? She's like, I, I was going to watch him. And he's like, well, it, it doesn't matter who watches him. He's holding on to a piece of evidence. And, you know, maybe he's tampering with it or trying to get rid of it. He's hiding something. She's like, well, he can't be. And, you know, she's like, he saved me, okay? And then she's like, remember that accident? It was Mr. Anderson that bailed me out of it. He rescued me. And Simon's like, why, why didn't you tell me about it? And she's like, I didn't think I had to. So then they kind of get in this fight or whatever like that. And he's like, you know, you're not making it easy, you know, being dead. And she's like, oh, sorry if me being dead is making it hard for you. And he's like, you know, I'm trying to solve your murder. Then she's like, well, then don't. She's like, I'll solve it myself. So she storms off, whatever. She goes in the hall. Wally, you know, or she goes outside. Wally drives up in the golf cart and asks if she needs a lift. And he's like, you know, instead of pacing angrily or whatever you're doing, he's like, why not do it with a little more speed? And he's like, I know what it's like to be a passenger in the afterlife. So, you know, why not take the wheel? She's just like looking at him. She, then she's like, okay. So she gets in. She's driving around really fast. And then she actually starts having fun. She hits this little sign or whatever. But apparently this must not be having any effect on the real world. So I don't really know how things go. If it like just resets after a bit. She's like, oh, I should have mentioned I'm not the best driver. And then he... He's, he's driving. He like he's like, oh, go this way, and he like steps on her foot, makes her drive faster. Drives through this like huge like uh, stack of like water coolers, and then he gets out, takes off his shirt, runs around like you know waving it or like that. She's like, you're crazy or like that. And then he he yells. He's like to, to another student. He's like, she got a strike on the first try. So again, all this stuff, it's not really happening in the real world. There's no way. So Nicole texts Simon in the library asking if he found anything, and he's like, no. Then her phone chimes. It says, Maddie Nears liked your photo. And it says she texts Simon. She's like, I just heard from Maddie. She's like, I think I know where she is. But she, so she, she types all this, and so she gets up and leaves. Xavier was in her, too, and he, like, watches her as she, like, leaves the library. So Nicole goes, like, up on some roof. At first, I thought it was a school roof. I don't think it was. And then she's like, starts calling her name. She's like, Maddie, Maddie. She goes in this old, like, unused room because there's like graffiti on the walls and there's like this big machinery thing in there. So I'm like, what the heck is this? And then there's like, uh, she sees like Maddie's initials like painted on the wall. So there's a flashback of them going into the room. Nicole like brought some snacks. They talk about like something like her mom's credit card being declined or whatever. So she's like, what is this place? And Maddie's like, oh, it's the old elevator control room. So the factory's been shut down for years. So it's not at this school. And she's like, I just like to come up here and escape. And she's like, escape what? She's like, life. So she, and she's like, oh, I like looking at the new additions on the wall, like all the graffiti and the, the initials and stuff like that. So Nicole says, like, you know, we should be up here. So she's, uh, you know, she takes out, she has like some like marker pen, these big thick, thick things. So she like drew a picture, like, you know, them. It's supposed to be like two, two girls, whatever. 
and Maddie's like admiring it. And she's like, oh, it's just a doodle. She's like, no, don't say that. She's like, it's really good. And she's like, you know, you should be doing something with this. And and Nicole's just like, she's like, no one's ever cared this much. So she's like really surprised. And she talks about like, you know, she can't afford school and all these options. And, but Maddie's like, well, when, you know, me and Simon are at Northwestern, well, you know, you should come up and, you know, we can go to all the art museums in the this, in this city. He's like, you deserve to be around, you know, all this stuff, whatever. So then um, in the present, Maddie hears some footsteps or not Maddie, uh, Nicole hears some footsteps. She's like, Maddie, but it's Xavier. And he's like, hi. And so she's kind of like nervous and she's like, uh, you know, she gets up and she's like, what are you doing up here? And he's like, Oh, Maddie used to come up here all the time. You know, I'm looking at all the spots she used to go to. He's like, isn't that what you're doing? And she's like, uh, did you just like a certain photo to get me up here? And he's like, what photo? She's like, don't play dumb. She's like, you stole Maddie's phone. And she's like, how do I know that you didn't hack her account to lure me up here? And he's like, what? And she's like, if you push me over to Ed, she's like, everyone's going to hear me scream. He's like, well, that's unlikely because if anyone would scream, it's me. It's like, I have such intense vertigo just, you know, thinking about how how high up we are and she's like you didn't like the photo he's like no because it was like a picture like from the outside you know looking outside the window in this building so she's like what are you really doing here and he's like i followed you he's like i saw you in the library and it looked like you found something and she's like you know why should i trust you he's like well i have an alibi you know the janitor saw me in the boy's bathroom and you know he was fixing a window my, my dad took his statement last week. She's like, well, why didn't you say anything to anyone? And he's like, everyone already made up their minds about me. You know, haven't they? And he's like referring to her. And she's like, oh, fine. Then she's like, so she's wondering, like, who liked the photo then? And he's like, you know, maybe it was, it was Sandra. Maybe it was, you know, Maddie's mom. You know, she could have opened Maddie's laptop and did it on accident. You know, he said he went to, to, you know, tell her that he didn't hurt Maddie or whatever. So he's like, you know, she's in pretty rough shape. She's like, but you're Maddie's friend. You know that, right? She doesn't. So Simon keeps spying on Mr. Anderson. <laughs> he then he like talks to him in the hall and he, he he's like, What did they say when you turned it in? You know, the piece of Maddie's phone. And he's like, Yeah, he's like, I'm handling it. So then Simon's like, So you didn't turn it in? I mean, if you still think we should leave it to the people in charge, we should turn it into the cops. Then Anderson's like, I lied, Simon. I don't trust the people in charge, not yet. So until I know who to trust, I'm gonna play things safe because the last thing that I want is for anyone to question you. You understand? But it's like, hmm, is that really your is that your real reason? So Maddie's like smashing vending machines with a golf club. You know, she's getting all her anger out, out. And Charlie starts talking to her about you know how angry she is, and she's like, oh, I had a fight with Simon. And you know, because Simon thinks that a teacher she really looked up to uh, thinks he thinks that he might be involved somehow, and she just can't accept that. And Charlie's like, you know, maybe you should talk to Rhonda because, you know, she, whatever happened with her and a counselor. Xavier and Nicole keep talking uh, about, you know, what he's dealing with, like, you know, the memes and people, you know, all the online hate and stuff like that. So he, he just went to school. He's like, I don't think what people are saying is going to stop anytime soon. And she's like, well, we just need to prove that Maddie's out there. And, you know, maybe we all just need to look. Maddie's goes up to Rhonda's like sitting on the, out in the field and she just you know, sits next to her. And Maddie's like, I think that if we met at the same time, like in the same time, that we'd actually be friends. She's like, oh, yeah. And then she says that she was wondering what the story was between her and her guidance counselor. And she's like, why? So you can blog about it? And Maddie's like, blogs aren't really a thing anymore because they take too long to read, which is totally true, I guess. 
Zoranda's like, well, my pain is not for sale. And she's like, do you think my death will help you solve yours? And Maddie's like, I, I hope not. She's like, I just had a friendship with a teacher too. And I'm just trying to figure out what it all meant. So Rhonda, you know, she's just like thinks about it. And finally, she's like, she's like the guy, you know, Mr. Manford, he was the, the nicest man I ever met. You know, my, my father, he was a pencil pusher. He worked long hours. He was never home. My mother cared more about that home, you know, how it looked than, you know, than actually her. So she's like, Mr. Manfredo, that was his name, not Mr. Manfredo. He just, you know, cared about me. And Maddie's like, that sounds nice. And she's like, it was. He saw that I was something special. And, you know, he wrote to some fancy schools so they would know too. You know, if, if I had a grade that slipped, he was firm. And he knew what it took to succeed in the real world. He, and he wanted me to see the world someday. But when my dream, our dream became a reality, it all went sideways. And Maddie's like, how so? She's like, I was in his office showing him my acceptance letter to Berkeley, and he just shut down. That's when it became clear that all that kindness, all that guidance came with a cost. And Maddie's like, what? She's like, what happened? Ron is like, we argued. He thought that we were one thing, and I disagreed. When I went to leave his office, let's just say I never left. And she's like, it turns out no one is who you think they really are. And then she says something like, you know, she wish she could tell him that. Or, and she's like, did he get away? And she's like, no, he was caught. It's like he died in prison, you know, but that didn't change anything for me. It's like nothing ever changes here. It just, just you know, all, all just resets in the end. So Maddie goes to the library. She looks in an old yearbook. She finds Mr. Manfredo. And then she looks at a newer yearbook of Mr. Anderson. Then she tells Simon, she's like, it's the same room. So they're in, you know, the guidance office and Mr. Anderson's, classroom are like the same place she's like after Rhonda was killed they put a wall up here and they made it to like two classrooms and then then she he's like wait other kids were killed here and maddie's like we don't have time for that she's like Rhonda's death is why we can talk in this classroom you know we can talk wherever someone died that you know we can connect so that's kind of freaky to think about that so someone died at the the bus stop someone died in that shop class which, you know, there are a lot of kids at the school, like in the, the, the circle thing, whatever. So he's like, great. He's like, what are you going to say? Uh, or what are we going to say to each other? And then she's like, I'm going to say, I'm sorry that I shouldn't have pushed you away earlier. He's like, go on. And she's like, and that I think you may be right. He's like, oh, say, say more about this, this me being right idea. She's like, I'm willing to admit I may, may have a blind spot about Mr. Anderson. If he really is hiding something, this classroom may be the last place that we can look. She's like, I can't do this without you. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, ditto. So Xavier and Nicole, they go, they talk to Sandra and they're, they're meeting outside. Nicole says, she's sorry. She hasn't checked in on her. And Sandra's like, you're here now. That's all that matters. They hug. So they're going to go into the woods and, and look some more. And they have, they only have like the doofus cop as their backup. He like gets out of his car, like drops his flashlight. You know, he's like all bumbling and stuff. So uh, Maddie and Simon are still looking in Anderson's room, and Simon asks about the accident. He's like, what? so why didn't you call me? And she's like, please don't make me tell you about that. And she's like, just let this one go. And he's like, okay, okay. And she just looks at him. You know, He keeps like looking at papers and stuff like that. Then she's like, I didn't crash that car. So it's flashback. We see her mom's lying in the back seat. Anderson's like, should we wake her? And Maddie's like, no, it's, it's best not to. He's like, so you say you were driving? And she's like, yeah. And your mother, she wasn't even here. He's like, got it. 
He's like, you sure about this, Maddie? And Maddie's like, what other choice do I have? He's like, they could take away your license. And she's like, it's better than them taking her away. He's like, okay, then he's like, we'll move her. I'll take her home, but you stay here. So they don't think that you fled and we'll, you know, talk to the insurance company together. She's like, okay. He's like, Maddie, you're right to call me. So in the present, she's like, if anyone else knew she could go away, you know, still, that's why I called him and not you. He's like, still, uh, he's like, I've, you know, I've seen the stuff that you go through at home. And she's like, that was just a tip of the iceberg. She's like, I guess I just thought that if you knew how deep it went, you'd get scared away. And he's like, well, I'm talking to your ghost right now. I'm still here. So would you call me now? She's like in a fudging heartbeat. Then they hear someone coming. Uh, the others are still searching the woods. They're going to, you know, spread out, look, you know, look for another spot. Then we see Mr. So they're hiding in a closet in Mr. Anderson's room. And he's like in there frantically talking on the phone. They can't really hear him so well. And then he's like, wait, he's like, why are you in here? He's like, you can just go out there. But when she goes, she opens the door, which is a little annoying because the door is not really opening, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, we already did things your way. He's like, now we're going to do them mine. Okay. So it's like, who's he talking to? Xavier calls in Nicole. No answer. Then Sandra comes up. They hear something. Then Nicole comes up to him. She's like, I found something. So see, now things are starting to get tense in this episode. Anderson's like, you know what? He's like, what I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have given Maddie that fudging money. And he just sweeps all the stuff off his desk in frustration. So it's like, wait, what? Then in the woods, they've, they find what must have been Maddie's ticket to the movies, like printed on a sheet of paper. And it has like a big footprint on there. And Xavier's like, I remember that. It's like she had that in study hall because they were going to go to that revival festival or something like that. Simon comes out of the closet because Anderson left. He's like, Maddie, what did he say? And he's like, did you ask Mr. Anderson for cash? And she's like, no. It's like, I know there are gaps in my memory, but I'd remember that. And Simon's like, well, he obviously thinks you did. And he's like, like crap. It's like, maybe this is why he did it. Nicole asked if that could be Maddie's footprint. And Xavier's like, yeah, it looks like it could be. And Sandra's like, yeah, those are hers. Or like her, you know, whatever boots or shoes she had. Then Simon in the classroom, he's like, I know it's hard you know what, what you, you just saw him mr hyde on full display you know dr jekyll mr hyde and she's like no it's like wait then she's like wait what the hell is that and she's like looking behind simon there's like the shelf there's like something kind of like loose they open up there's like the secret compartment and it's full of cash and she's like why does a high school english teacher have a poop load of cash hidden in his classroom and simon's like i don't know maddie but i'm guessing it has to do with why you're dead and that's the end of episode three. So see right there, boom. What the heck does that mean? What the heck is going on? Okay, then season one, episode four, ghoul intentions instead of cruel intentions, right? So it's the next day, Mr. Anderson, he's like grading essays or something like that. Maddie um, like picks up his phone because it's like on his desk, but she can't, she's like trying to, because so the way it works, I guess... You know, they can pick up things, but it just it's like a copy. So again, it goes back to when Maddie was trying to rip off the the, the flyer of her or someone drew like a mustache or something like that. You know, she she can duplicate it, but it still stays in the, the real world. So she can pick up his phone and kind of make like a duplicate, but his phone is still sitting at a desk. He doesn't move or anything like that. It's not floating. So she's like holding it to his face, trying to get it to like recognize it, but you know, she can't unlock it. The, the class is taking a test or something like that. And she's, you know, Simon's sitting there and she's like, 
you know, he, he's in a class, they're t- full classroom, they're all testing. She's like, tell him to check his email. And he just kind of like looks up and like glares at her. And she's like, aren't you curious why he has a, a wall full of money or why he thinks he gave some of it to me? Then Mr. Anderson's like, he's like, Simon, he's like, keep your eyes on your paper. So then she like tries again or whatever. He gets up, goes to the window, like opens a blind or whatever. Uh, the bell rings. Simon runs up, puts his paper in, grabs the phone and like rushes out of the classroom. Maddie just like turns. She's like, Simon? Because she's like, where'd he go? He just like took off. So then we see Mr. Martin's doing group. He's talking about like fun things they can do this weekend or something like that. You know, he's got a chalkboard and he's talking about like trivia night and you know, all these different things. Then Maddie comes up. She's like, well, I know what I want to do. I want to find out why Mr. Anderson was talking to someone about giving me money last night. And Wally's like, uh, who's he talking to? And she's like, I don't know. And she's like, does anyone know anything? And they're like, no. She's like, so you, know, you, you all haunt the halls all day and no one's heard anything suspicious about him? Simon is like at his locker. He's got, you know, the, uh, Mr. Anderson's phone. He's like trying to guess his passcode or whatever. And then Nicole comes up behind him. So he like, you know, sticks in his po- pocket or something like that. And he says that the cops, or she says that the cops found more boot prints leading up to a service road. So that must mean Maddie's still alive. So whatever happened in the boiler room, she got out. And then he comments, he's like, you yeah, know, how are you like ready to put Xavier's head on a stick? And now you're texting buddies. She says, well, maybe it has something to do with you ghosting me since Maddie went missing instead of helping me look for her. Then she's like, where were you last night? I texted you like 10 times. And then, you know, he's like, well, you know, it's, it's going to sound crazy, but it's like, I've been talking to her. She's like, yeah, I have too, only, you know, not out loud. So, you know, he doesn't know how to tell her or whatever. Then uh, Nicole runs into Xavier. So she's like, what are you doing now? He's like, going to biology. She's like, no, you're not. Not anymore. You're coming with me. So then later in the hall, the grief counselor corners Simon and you know, she's talking about like grief and talking to someone and his, the, he has phone the mr anderson's phone like kind of pings it's like you know a lost phone chime goes off and then as the the grief counselor is going on and on talking to simon he sees anderson down the hall walking around with his laptop you know trying to find out where his phone is and then um mr anderson sees him down the hall so simon kind of like darts off and then as he's going down this hall he like tosses the phone on top of some lockers and just keeps going so I don't know if he like shut it off or if, if that's a way it seems like weird. I don't know. How's that going to help anything? Nicole is doing some like video newscasting for the school, something she's talking to Claire Z talking about her, you know, being a hero and it mentions her being, you know, being nominated for homecoming. And she's like, the only homecoming I care about is Maddie coming back. And, you know, she says like some stuff, whatever. Then Nicole kind of goes off her and she's like, you haven't like said two words to her in high school. And now you, you, you know, talking about you wish that you could save her because she's like maddie didn't drown when you know she's like i wish i could do something you know help her and and then and uh like someone's like nicole you know they're like off camera like tells her like you know get back on track with her and but then claire's like oh you're right you know we used to be friends but it's true we haven't talked in a long time and like the camera kind of zooms on her you know her eyes are teary or whatever maddie talks to charlie wally and Rhonda are in a cafeteria they're trying to you know she says, like, what about asking some of the other, like, ghosts? Because, you know, they just have that group of, you know, um, in the this, this circle, uh, but they're in a, the, the group, but there's other ghosts on, on, on campus. Then Simon comes up. We need to talk. Bus stop. Now. Wally and Rhonda are, like, kind of shocked. They're like, did he just, she just, because, you know, she just, like, looks at him and she leaves. They're like, they did. And Charlie's just like, um. So they're at the bus stop. They're talking. So she 
Maddie's like, I, you know, I think the grief counselor is right. You know, maybe it's time you talk to someone like your parents or the police. He's like, but if I tell anyone that I talk to you, they'll think I'm crazy. Then Wally and Rhonda like walk up, you know, on the other side of the bus stop. It's like a clear thing. They're just kind of like looking at him or something like that. So he, uh, Simon leaves. Then Rhonda's like, did you have a nice chat with your friend? She's like, I told you some personal poop yesterday and you didn't think you could, you know, tell me that you could talk to the living. Maddie's like, and not to the living, just Simon. And Rhonda's like, well, that's a big fudging deal. Maddie's like, I tried to tell you, but, and they're like, but what? And then she just kind of looks and then Charlie like kind of like shakes his head. And then they like look at him. They're like, oh my God, does Mr. Martin know? He's like, uh, I don't think so. Or whatever. So they're like pissed and they start arguing. Maddie just gets up and leaves. So inside she goes to the auditorium. It's dark in there. And she, she finds like uh, on the floor, there's like a, a devil patch. She picks that water. She's there's like, she hears someone. And then she is like, Mina, is that you? At first, I was, I was like, is this a flashback or something like that? And then there's someone like kind of skulking about. She goes backstage. She goes up in the rafters and there's light keeps shining in her face. Then Simon's talking to Principal and he's like, oh, I understand what you told me. It wasn't easy for you to say. But, you know, and Simon's like, what happens now? And the principal's like, well, uh, we, we call the authorities and, you know, I explain, you know, what, what you said. And then they look into it. So Maddie's talking to Mina. She's a, a ghost, you know, a girl that was killed in a theater or, or died in a theater, not killed necessarily. She's like, have you seen my teacher? You know, he, he has a scruffy beard, wine sh wears a lot of wine shirts and stuff like that. Mina says, is like, oh, you know, she says some stuff. How, you know, she's a little angry. She says she's there all the time watching over them, keeping them safe. And she's like, I don't get flowers or like other stuff like, you know, how you guys do. Because I, I think she meant how like Maddie, you know, all these people are looking for her and, you know, they had the vigil and all this stuff. Then uh, Nicole and Xavier, so they're apparently going to HorrorCon. So Nicole, you know, Xavier's going to use uh, the ticket that Nicole got for Simon or something like that. And then she's talking about, or as, as they walk out of school, Claire's like campaigning for homecoming queen, you know, even though she said she doesn't care. She gives, she's like, she thanks Nicole for like the interview thing they get. She's like, here, just, you know, in this case, she gives like this flyer, you know, to like vote for her. And then she's like, oh, and she gives her like this cupcake with a C on there. And then uh, Nicole just kind of looks at it, and uh, then Xavier kind of gets cold shoulder because like Claire just like looks at him. They don't like say anything to each other, and then they they, they walk away. So Maddie gets uh, startled by Don in, in the theater then, because uh, so Don is kind of like the the seventies trippy girl. So is, is she like just drugged out all the time, whatever? And she's like, "What are you doing here?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, kids leave interesting things behind all the time." So then Maddie decides to. You know, she tries talking. She doesn't really get anything out of her. She's going to go talk to the, the bus crash kids. And she goes there. Then, she, you know, they're, they're marching around playing and are kind of arguing about, so you're flat, you're this, whatever. And then she's like, excuse me, whatever. And they're like, do you even play an instrument? She's like, uh, no, I'm not, an, I'm not a musician. Then they don't even want to talk to her. So they just, like, keep keep going, whatever, to start marching around. And then she notices a mascot patch, like the one she found on the theater floor. So Simon is sitting out in the hall. He's like looking through the window, seeing like two officers talk to Mr. Anderson. And then, you know, while he, he's like standing like right in his face, he, and, you know, he's trying to figure out like, how come you can only see Maddie? The officers come out and they're, they're like, uh, Simon, we have some questions for you. And he's like, what? And then they like escort him away. So Maddie comes out. She's like, what's going on? And he's like, what, what? You know, cause she doesn't know anything about that. And then she's like trying, calling out to Simon, but then she realizes he can't hear her cause she's not in one of the, like the dead zone places. And and so he's like, they take him outside, so they're taking him down to the station. Nicole is going on and on about Claire, how you know she says she doesn't care, and then you know she was like using like the news thing as a, her platform or whatever, and 
and Xavier's not really saying anything. And she's like, what he's like, Oh, I thought, you know, you had, you, you had the argument or make an argument for yourself. Cause you know, she's just going on about that. And then he says something that's like, well, you know, Claire is good at icing people out. And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, does that mean that there's something between, so she, you know, she's kind of figuring out that there's something between Xavier and, and Claire Z. Simon is at the station. He's talking to police. He's like, did you even talk to Mr. Anderson? And he's like, did you look at the hole in the wall? And they're like, you know, he says something. They're like, yeah, there was no money in, in the wall. There is just one thing which he willingly handed over. They slide over the little plastic bag. It's the, the piece of the phone. They're like, he said that you gave it to him, and he thinks it's a piece of the, of the phone, of Maddie's phone. And Simon's like, it is a piece of her phone. It's like, I, f- I found it on a, in the auto shop, and I gave it to Mr. Anderson. They're like, why him? He says, he's like, at the time, we thought, I thought that we could trust him. And, you know, then they're like, we? He's like, I meant me. So then he's like, he's like, have you, do you even have anything in her file? Or whatever? They're like, if you want, go ahead, look at it. And they're like, you know, we have a working theory that Maddie wanted to leave Split River and didn't want to be found. So she made it look like there was some sort of attack, but she needed someone's help to swap out her phone. You know, a reliable best friend, plant some evidence, maybe even frame a teacher. When in reality, she simply ran away. Uh, Nicole and Xavier pull up the Horicon. They, they park. There's like awkward silence. And Xavier's like, I, I shouldn't have told you. And Nicole's like, he's like, Maddie knew. And maybe that's why she ran away. And, you know, they're like arguing stuff like that. She's like, you cheated on her. It's like, you're literally the last person that I should have brought to help look for her. That she's like, stay in a fudging car. So she goes around, you know, she has a picture of Maddie on her phone. She's like, have you seen my friend? Her name's Maddie. Have you seen her, my friend? And it just kind of seems like a crazy idea. Okay, why would Maddie show up there? You know, no one knows, you know, police have been looking for her. They got a whole town vigil or whatever, people searching. And she's going to go to a horror convention. And it, it's, it's. It seemed like a weird setup for a convention. It's like, is it just outside? I, I didn't even understand that. And Nicole's kind of getting upset. You know, she's asking everyone, bumping in people and whatever, you know, thinking there's like someone she thought it was Maddie, but it wasn't. Then someone comes up to her in a mask and she like shoves him and it's Xavier. She's like, what are you doing? I told you, you know, to stay in the car. And he's like, oh, I just thought, you know, we could split up and you can look and, you know, find her. She's, and then she's like, you were supposed to look after her. And, you know, and then he's like, I know I, I screwed up. He's like, I know that. He's like, I'd take it back if I could. You know, if it makes you feel better hit me he's like swing away he's like i'm sorry so then we see maddie's lying outside in the grass charlie comes and lays down next to her he says that he heard she was out here you know the others told him what happened to simon you know and so apparently they're mad at charlie not her because you know he didn't say anything he told her not to say anything and then he's like how are you and she's like well my best friend was just carted off for my murder that i can't even remember he's like how do you think and he's like, oh, you know, probably alone, broken. And he's like, we all have unfinished business. And she's like, oh, does does yours have a name? And then he mentions, he's like, yeah, Emilio, but, you know, you know him as Mr. Figuera. And then, you know, the one teacher, there's, there's like a flashback. It's like some school camp out thing. You know, they have like teepees. And, you know, so Charlie's like, he was an exchange student. And, you know, the, so he goes up to him. He's like, oh, is anyone, you know, sleeping in, in your tent or something like that? And the other kid's like, oh, look, Charlie has a new butt buddy. And they're like, like making motion, stuff like that. It seems, I mean, this is the 90s. You, you would never say that today. It's so inappropriate and just so, so idiotic. And then Charlie's like, you, you can find another place to sleep. And Mia, you know, because the other guys, Emilio was like, oh, different country saying cabrones. He's like, they used to say the same thing about me. And they were right, too. So they kind of smile at each other. 
then it's like night, you know, they're, they're in their sleeping bags or they're laying there and they're, they're like laying kind of like opposite, like, you know, head to feet or whatever. And, uh, Emilio puts on like his Walkman, like earbuds. And he, he's listening to Dave Matthew bands, uh, crash, crash into me, whatever. Then he's like, Oh, you want to hear something, you know, beautiful. And he, then they share earbuds and their, their hands kind of touch their fingers, whatever. So then back in the present, Charlie's like, after that, it's like, I fell fast after that. He's like, you know, he was everything I wasn't. He was confident. He was magnetic. And, you know, he said that if I just came out to everyone, it'd be different. And he's like, one day my parents asked me in front of him, it's like, why, how come you never, you know, date anyone? And then, so Emilio told them uh, about them. And Maddie's like, he outed you to your parents? And Charlie's like, he was convinced they already knew. You know, maybe they did. He's like, but I was furious. He's like, I wrote him a mean, terrible letter and dropped in his locker the next day. Then I tried to try to drown my feelings in a plate of French fries. And that's when he died because of the, the whatever oil was in there. He's like, the worst part was watching Emilio find a letter. I told him that I never loved him and never wanted to see him again. You know, just my luck. He became a teacher here. And now all I do is see him and just wish I could take back those words. Maddie's like, Charlie, I'm so sorry. And he's just like, I'm not trying to bum you out further. I'm just you let you know you're not alone. You know, we're all split river devils. You know, we're all in this together. And there's just, you know, just a moment of silence. And she's like, how come I'm a bandit and not a devil? So they go talk to like the others. So Rhonda says that after the band crash, people started to think that maybe it was a devil that caused a crash and not black ice. So Maddie thinks that, you know, that maybe she'll tell everyone the truth tomorrow, including Mr. Martin. And while he's like, maybe don't. And Ron is like, yeah, I think he's right. You know, maybe keep this contained for now. And then they're like, what do we do now? Maddie's like, we should get some flowers. So Maddie gives the flowers to Mina, says, you know, thanks for keeping them all safe. And then, then Maddie says, you know, they're not that different. She's like, I'm trying to keep what happened to me from happening to someone else. And then she shows her devil patch. She's like, does this mean anything to you? And she's like, yeah, your Hawaiian shirt guy, he's always banging around here interrupting my work and maddie's like banging so mina stands up you know she's on the stage and she like opens this like compartment door thing on the floor she and then she just like lets it like slam shut so then maddie Rhonda, wally and charlie they go downstairs like this wardrobe room there's like all these patches like on a, on a table wally finds a piece of paper it's like does this mean anything it's like a shipping bill about devil marching band uniforms it costs like forty thousand dollars has an anderson signature under it and then they're like did he even pay for this and maddie's like we need to get you know simon to call this place so then at the bus stop simon so somehow simon's there and simon tells uh he tells her like mr anderson totally played us it's like he even convinced them that i helped you run away it's like they only let me come back here because i promised i'd get anderson's phone and turn it in she's like well before you do that i may have found you know something that could help get the cops off your back so then Simon kind of like barges in to this like late night faculty meetings. Like it was seemed weird. And, and I, I don't know if it was like in a cafeteria or something like that. And they're like, Simon, what are you doing here? And he, he talks about the band uniforms that Mr. Anderson, you know, helped the booster club raised money for. And he kindly offered to order them himself. The only problem is the uniforms purchased aren't new. They were retired and stowed away for decades. And Anderson's like, he waves. It's like, Simon, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he's like, so you didn't find these, spruce them up and, pay yourself that money and he's like what he's like no I, I i absolutely did not then simon's like then how do you explain this receipt and he like kind of like throws it down on a table he's like that company doesn't even exist and as for our mascot 
it's like Mr. Anderson used this to cover up all traces of the old one. So he rips off like the, the little patch thing under, and you can see uh, like the new design. He takes off the new design. You can see it kind of like threads of the old one, and he puts uh, the devil patch, and it matches like perfectly. And then the principal, Simon's like, I can't prove he hurt Maddie, but I can prove this. And they're all like silent, like staring at him. Back at Horicon, Xavier sits on next to Nicole. She's like, I really thought she'd be here. He's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, I think Simon might be right. So then you see Mr. Anderson's taken away by the police and Maddie's, you know, she's in, they're in his room and with, she's with Simon. She's like, what do you think will happen? Simon's like, oh, he'll be questioned. He's like, maybe arrested. And she's like, not for murder. She's like, I swear to God, if I died over some stupid band uniforms and Simon's like, maybe he'll confess. And she's like, or you'll turn that phone over to cops and we'll never know who he was working with and why he said he gave me money and I'll never know what really happened to me. And, you know, she says, well, you know, at least some of the, the heat will be off Simon. Then he, like, takes off his, like, jacket, sweater, or whatever. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, he puts on a chair. He's like, I was thinking, I can't hug you, but my sweater can. Next best thing. So she takes it, kind of holds it, whatever. And then asks, she asks, like, do you ever, you know, think that we'd be in our, our own real-life horror movie or something like that? He's like, well, it could be worse. And she's like, really? How? He's like, you could have turned into a zombie or maybe, a, you know, instead of a ghost. And then she's like, or a blob. And he's like, you'd make a great blob. She's like, thank you. Then she's like, you should go, you know, go get Anderson's phone, get some sleep. So then, you know, he takes his, his actual sweater that's in the real world. And he's like, good night, whatever. And then Rhonda's like watching from the hall. Um, the, all the, the group kids, they're watching Ghost because they're talking about movie night. Wally wanted to watch like, you know, sports movies like Rudy or you know, whatever, all this stuff. Uh, so they're watching Ghost Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. Dawn is actually with them, which, you know, she wasn't part of the group before, so that's kind of good that she's joining them. Maddie walks up and sits next to Charlie, and he's like, oh, I didn't think you were coming. Where? And then uh, he says that Wally finally let him choose the movie or whatever, and she had some, like, a pad of paper, and he's like, what's this? She's like, write what you want to say to Emilio. I'll make sure he gets it. And he's like, oh, you don't have to do this. She's like, I want to. And he, like, hugs her. And then the camera pans, and the Wally's kind of cry crying. He's like, this is so much better than Rudy. Rhonda comes in, sits next to Mr. Martin. He has a big bowl of popcorn. And he's like, Rhonda, he's like, you usually boycott movie nights. And he's like, is everything all right? And she says that, she's like, I've been here for 60 years, 60 graduations, kids, you know, throwing up, you know, square cardboard, whatever. She's like, I watch class after class, hug and cry. She's like, I made my peace with, you know, nothing changes. But now she's like, I know I'm not much of a joiner, but I have to get out of here. She's like, I'm willing to try anything. So, you know, whatever you did to help Janet, I want in. He's like, well, I'm glad to hear that. And he like kind of passed her a bowl of popcorn. I don't know if I trust Mr. Martin. He seems a little, a little sketch. So it's like, did he, you know, because why are they still there? How did Janet pass on? Because she was there for a while. And how come the others can't pass her? I, I, I don't trust him. Then Don, so, you know, she's kind of next to Maddie. She's like, oh, do you want to take a selfie? And she takes a picture because, you know, she's talked about trying to keep up with all, uh, you know, the, the, the phone thing. And she's like, no, I don't understand. It's TikTok. She's like, I think it's a new Vine. She's like, what happened to Vine? Maddie's like, I don't know. So she's, you know, takes a picture. And Maddie's like, you know, where, where'd you get that phone? And she's like, oh, I told you, you know, people leave stuff behind the theaters, like, you know, some pimply-faced freshman. Then Maddie's like, it was unlocked? She's like, no, I, I used her passcode. And Maddie's like, how'd you know her passcode? And Don's like, I know everyone's passcode. How else would I keep up with my socials? And she's like, what do you mean, everyone's? And Don just kind of giggles. She's like, Don, what do you mean, everyone's? 
So then Maddie r- runs out. She goes after Simon. You know, Simon's walking. He wa- walks out of the school. He's probably going to go turn in the phone. He, she's like calling out to him, but he can't hear her because he's like going to his car. So then she goes to the bus stop. She's like, Simon. And then he like hears her and he looks. She's like, 495-273. Check his call log. We need to know who he called that night. Then it cuts to like, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's like the cheerleader girls are like trying on dresses for homecoming or like that. One's like, oh, Mr. Anderson might get arrested. You know, they're on their phones or whatever. Their phones are pinging and stuff like that. Does this have anything to do with Maddie? And Claire Z, you know, she's there. She kind of looks concerned. And then like in her purse, you hear like someone's fo- like a phone ringing. And then, she, you know, she goes looking at her, her phone, whatever. And you know, she doesn't do anything. Then Simon, Maddie, they're at the bus stop. They're still they're on Mr. Anderson's phone. And they're dial. You know, you hear you hear a phone ringing, ringing. Then it goes a voicemail, and it's Claire's voicemail. So, and then it cuts back to Claire Z. She's looking like really nervous at the, the the dress place. So why is Mr. Anderson calling Claire Z about the money about Maddie and uh, you know because she was with Xavier? What is see? And again, this is why. I mean, look at how last episode ended. It's just. You don't know. And and it was weird before because it looked like Mr. Anderson was a nice guy. Now, all of a sudden, he's a bad guy. He's like, wait, what is happening? So this is why I like the week by week because it, it really keeps you guessing. And, you know, it sets up these cliffhangers. And they're not – I don't feel like they're overly cheesy, like, forced cliffhangers. It really, like, sets things up. And it's like, what the heck is going on? And so now we got to wait till next week to hear about what what's, what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm digging it. So uh, you should be watching it. And now for the main feature, John Wick, chapter four. Hey, John, you ready? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that part. Oh, my gosh, this movie. Uh, I love this movie so much, but there's one thing that I do not. I I think I'm in denial. I, like, refuse to accept that this one, because otherwise it would be, like, a perfect movie. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you just love something so much, but then this was like, why did they have to make that car to drive in orange? That just ruins the whole movie. And I, I just can't accept it. So it's something like that, but not, not exactly like that. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. And, you know, it's just something about Keanu Reeves. You know, he's, he's, he's such a charming guy, he's such a great actor. And, you know, he's such a good person, you know, from what it seems like. And these movies are just, they're so bonkers. I mean, they're, you know, I, I, I say this, it's like a ballet with bullets because there's just, it's, the you know, all the the fighting choreography. And it, it almost gets like more and more over the tops. You know, the fact that they all have these business suits that are like so, you know, bulletproof. You know, it's like Uber, it's like super technology. <laughs> but I don't know if I noticed it so much in the other movies because I, I watched Chapter Three again uh, a couple days before. I you know I wanted to watch all three, but I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to read all the comics this week, so how am I going to watch three movies? But there's like parts in this movie where he's like actually like holding his like suit up like over his head to, to block his face, and it's it's almost comical in a way, but it's also a great way to let the movie happen and not have to worry about like how how are you not getting hurt by all this so i'm assuming it's absorbing some of the impact too because we always see in the movies the tv show when somebody gets shot then of course they rip open their shirt and then you know so we can see that there's you know a bullet there but there's the pain from the impact and you know they get bruised it's like getting hit by a bowling ball or whatever this movie you know john wick's 
picking up from the last movie, he's in a bit of trouble. You know, he's excommunicado. People are out to get him. I, I think there was a 20, they upped it to $20 million bounties. And then uh, uh, to, to make things worse, you know, we, we have uh, Bill Skarsgård, who is the, the Marquise. He's like this French dude. And he's like putting all, all this like resources against John. And that that's basically what this is. It's like, no one is supposed to help John Wick. Even like the continental New York, they get shut down with spoilers because, you know, they made some mistakes or whatever stuff happened and um, just serious consequences. And, and you know, that, that's one of the things they mentioned. Uh, so a lot of this movie is just like, how can John fight everyone? Because this is where it gets bonkers because every once in a while they're like, okay, we're going to up the bounty. So you get all these these people coming out of the woodworks just coming after him. And it's just like this unstoppable, like, it's it's, it's literally like a video game. This is like a live action video game where, you know, you're playing this character and you're just trying to shoot everyone. There is even a scene, and I'm going so out of order. There is this one fight. Okay, so it's like a three-hour movie. It's this, this thing. is It's 169 minutes. It's so long. But it didn't feel long at all. I loved it. And because it's not clear, are we getting a John Wick 5? And if you watch the movie, you're like, because, you know, they're they're not necessarily saying, yeah, we're going to do John Wick 5. You know, there is closure, I guess you could say here. There may be a 5. You know, they've talked about this. Like, yeah, we, you know, it's possible. But, but you know, if you, you, you know what, maybe you know what I'm saying. So... It's a long movie, and you you want that. You know, if we're not going to get a fifth movie, I want this to be as long as possible. And it never feels like it drags on. And even though there's so much violence, so much fighting, I feel like each fight scene is just different. It's almost like unique in a way. And part of it is like the different different weapons they use. You know, there's of course a lot of guns and there's a lot of swords. But you know, there's one part like John Wick's using nunchucks, and it's like nunchucks and nut shots. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, that's the thing. I really notice it in in chapter three, maybe because I haven't seen chapter two in a while. There's a lot of people getting hit in the nuts, and that makes sense. You're fighting dudes, you hit them in the ding ding, and you know there's that impact there. And versus like you know hit them in the nuts or hit them in the shoulder, there's going to be a bit of a difference. And we get all these different fights, but they're different, and there's different locations, and, and so. You know, there's this one that's like at this club and at first it's it's like okay this is kind of crazy like all these people are still dancing around big and no one's like really reacting maybe i don't know if they're on drugs or it's just the music so loud they're not really aware of everything that's happening but then you know things start to progress and then all of a sudden everyone's like oh let's get out of here which was like wait what and uh there's this other part like in this like old decrepit house or something like that you get this like over the head camera shot and you see like his john's going from like room to room like all these guys are coming at him and he's got this like crazy like powerful flaming not really gun it's like this it's not wasn't a shotgun but shoots out these big bursts and as it hits him it's like there's like flames on him because it's just the impact and just so much power but it's it's like watching a video game from you know there's i can't name a game off the top of my head but it's like you're seeing it you know top view so it's it's just so cool, and I'm watching this, and I'm just like in awe. I feel like I'm a little kid watching this, you know, all this stuff. And even though it's just violence, 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 and so immature, or whatever, but it's just it's it's like classy in a, in a way because it's just so stylized, and I don't know, it's it's just crazy. And there there are some parts where like you actually feel you're like, oh, I I literally like, oh, cringed and ooed 
at, at a couple parts because it's just like, ouch. So when I saw this theater, I saw it in a, in a big theater, great sound system. And I don't always go to the, the big theaters because, you know, I just go to whatever theater is available. And, and the, sometimes the, the big theaters, are, you know, it, it costs more. It seems like a dollar or two more because it's on a bigger screen and you get the better sound system. I part, I just like I just want to see the movie on, on a somewhat big screen. I don't need all the bells and whistles, especially for like two dollars more. But this one is in a big screen. And sometimes I forget. Even I've, I just saw something fairly recently in a big screen. I don't know if it was Creed. Maybe I think it was Creed. And with you know with Creed, you you feel the impact. And the the movie opens up with that scene in the trailer where John's just you know hitting that that piece of wood wrapped in rope, and you know you see like blood on there, and you can like just feel it, you know, as it's like in the seats and in your chest. And you know, with all of the bullets and everything, and you know, you you can feel all that. And but then also like some of the times someone goes flying or this or that, it's like. Oh. I feel like I'm just, I got to calm down. I'm just like getting too excited. Uh, so it's just, it's really good. And, you know, there, there's just part of it, you know, there, there's also the fact that, you know, John tried getting out and, you know, John wanted to retire. And, you know, there, there's a, you know, a, a, some of Donnie Yen's character, same thing, you know, he wanted to get out, he gets pulled in. And, you know, and then there's like nothing you can do. So it's just, it's it's makes it hard in a way but at the same time you know we have a lot of cool moments so it's it's just i don't know what more i can say you know i i feel i could just go on about how how cool it was and, and everything it was um it was it was kind of sad you know and to see lance reddick because he's he brings i i feel like you know his characters there's not a whole lot of depth to his character i i maybe I, that i that's totally wrong but you know, here he, you know, he doesn't have a huge role, but just his presence, you know, just the way he carries himself, and that's the way he's done like everything. I mean, he's such a great actor, and I don't know if you know he's gotten the credit he deserved or anything like that. It's such a tragedy that you know he passed because what was he like sixty years old? It's like it's it's so bad, and so when you see him here, it's just like oh man, you know, we're not going to see him again, and it's just yeah, it's 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 really really sad there, but. You know, we bring in all all these characters, and there's just so many cool moments, and I I cannot cannot wait to see this again. I mean, so I I just love this so much. I think I'd have to say, you know, as I'm watching this, I was like, I think this is my favorite movie of 2023, and I know that might be kind of silly. It's like, oh, John Wick, it's just a violent movie. It's just like you know, shoot 'em up movies. You know, it's just action. But there is a story, and I I I really I'm fascinated by like. Just the layers of this, you know, it's what are they like assassins, or whatever? But there's this whole organization and just like the politics and the, the not even the politics, but it's just like the the history goes back like so long, and there's just so many layers to it that I, it's just so fascinating when you hear about like the table and just the rules and like just the way everything works, and you know the, the whole reason that John Wick's like in the dilemma he is because he broke the rules and like anything goes and there's no stopping it and. It's just it. I don't know. It's it's just so interesting. And then even though this is just purely violence, violence, violence. You know, there's of course a story, but then just a way. And I'm going to say it again. A way the scenes are executed. No pun intended. But it's just they're just brilliant. So I was like, yeah, I want a fifth movie. But you know, the director, he and Keanu, they're like, yeah, you know, they don't know because you know when they were supposed to do um, four and five. T together, uh, Chad uh, Stahelski, 
he's like, I don't know if I'm good enough to direct her to do two movies back to back because he feels like the, the movie should be done differently because otherwise it's just it would just be part you know chapter four again and you know if if they're going to do a, a chapter five it should be different so he's like i'm not good enough for that it's like i you know i need to i would need to go to school to try to do something otherwise it's just going to be the same thing and i feel like this movie is so varied in, in itself like within the movie you know it's different from the other ones but it, there's just so many different parts to this so yeah I, I could see that you know how do you do something different rather than just try to do the same exact thing because while that would be totally cool and acceptable uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily just settle and just, you know, do something like that. And, you know, he also mentioned how, you know, Keanu Reeves keeps getting better. And, you know, he feels like he would have to get better because, you know, Keanu keeps doing all this other stuff. So he's like, you know, I don't know if I can do it. So they're, they want to just let it rest. But obviously there's no way Lionsgate's going to want that because they weren't too happy with their decision to just say, yeah, we're probably not going to do another one. But you know how can you just you know there's this huge franchise it's it's it had a hundred million dollar budget and i think it's projected like making like 70 something million for the weekend so i'm sure it's going to be big but yeah you know at the same time you can't force it and you know it's like fast and the furious those movies are fun and entertaining but i i, I couldn't tell you what happened in and the seventh movie versus the eighth movie you know they all just start to blend in together so there's there's definitely I, I think there's a huge difference between the Fast and Furious franchise and the John Wick franchise. You know, they're they're two completely different things. But that's just my opinion. So I don't know where it's gonna go. And then, you know, again, there is that one thing that I really do not like. And once you see the movie, you will know specifically what I'm talking about, and that raises a whole other set of questions. Like what does that mean? And of course there's ways around that. But I'm just like, uh, I don't know. We're supposed to have, uh, I think, a couple spinoffs. There was the, the ballet one. I think Anna de, de Armas was supposed to be in it. I, I don't remember. So, you know, they, they we could get some other stuff in the meantime. Uh, would we get a, any cameos from any characters? Possibly. Maybe not. I, I don't know. So, I don't know. I just, I just want more and more. And it's just, this movie is just so much fun. And just cringing at parts, just the the violence and just, oh, man. So I don't know. I, there's nothing more for me to say. I absolutely love the movie. And, you know, the the story was cool. The fight scenes were amazing. You know, they were varied. It's creative. The movie was long, but it absolutely did not feel long. And I wish it was longer. So you should definitely see that. You know, I had someone at work like, should I see it in, this, in a you know a big screen? I'm like, yeah. As I can try to go with you know with this theater with a good sound system because you want to feel that. It's just really good. So that's it. That's all I have to say. So that is uh, John Wick Chapter Four. Great stuff. See it. I loved it. Unless you don't like violence, but there's a couple of cute puppies in there or doggies. So you should definitely see that. I I loved it. And I love all of you because that is going to be another episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, I'm currently talking about Fantastic Four from the 80s. John back to John Burns run, you know, continuing with that. It's a lot of cool stuff. She Hulk's on the team. It's a really cool period. Um, sometimes I talk about movies and other off my mind topics about comics or whatever. 
If you cannot commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. What is going to happen next week? I think next week is Dungeons and Dragons. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost positive. You know, next week, this week, uh, next episode. I think it's getting good reviews. I, I haven't really looked at. It. I, I thought I saw a review somewhere. So um, I'm not like super duper excited for this. So if, if it's great, that's awesome. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm. We'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting and. Because, you know, with John Wick, I was super excited, and, and I was not let down. So with Dungeons Dragons, I don't really have any expectations. You know, I'm not, not looking forward to it, but I'm, I'm, I'll be there. I'll see it. So you'll hear my thoughts on that next week. Um, and then, you know, more to TV shows and all that stuff. So I hope you are doing well. I hope you are taking care of yourself. I hope you are just having a great time. I hope things are going super cool. If not, just remember, you know, you're, you're not alone. We're, we're all here. We can all be here together in, in our misery moments or whatever. But just, you know, try to do something fun. Take care of yourself. And remember, be good to each other.